Thundar the Barbarian. The year 1994. From out of space comes a runaway planet, hurtling between the Earth and the Moon, unleashing cosmic destruction. Man's civilization is cast in ruin. 2,000 years later, Earth is reborn. A strange new world rises from the old. A world of savagery, super science, and sorcery. But one man bursts his bonds to fight for justice. With his companions, Ukla the Mock and Princess Ariel, he pits his strength, his courage, and his fabulous sun sword against the forces of evil. He is Thundar, the Barbarian. Yes. Okay, we are recording now. Sorry. We went a half hour and we didn't record. <coughs> and then I said, oh, shoot, the, it's not plugged in. There's no red light. But um, So we were just looking on the internet, and it's really cool because not only all the spam we get, which like comments for like, you know, would, would you like to try Viagra? Or would you yeah. like to try Cialis? We've, we've often talked about like reading. Yeah, all the, the, uh, <laughs> all the comments. comments. Would <laughs> you like to monetize your blog reel? And we've, we just loved your article on about Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, <laughs> and we thought it was so engaging. You are you are great writer. And all kinds of, yeah, all kinds of typos. <laughs> typos. Some is like in like, I don't know what it is, Eastern European that's even a language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but then we found like a, a nice page of like people putting like reviews and we'd ask for reviews and, and, and people, you know, because that really, and we've got like five stars and everything and it's really good, uh, you know, very positive. Everyone's great. And then people are like also lending constructive criticism, <laughs> which is really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had one that uh, they complained that Blake uh, doesn't, talk is um he sometimes goes like low and he I needs talk to talk louder sometimes i get low yeah when, he, when he's going back and then i occasionally don't shut up then let blake talk so it's it, that's great so now we know what to do that we yeah I, like i said i would for me the, the one comment i have about my comment is that the one comment you had about your comment <laughs> is that the guy says ironically he's a sound editor so he should know better and i just need to point out one i'm not a sound editor by trade i'm a regular editor which is no excuse and i don't edit the show so so yeah. just to that guy i taking i'm taking the criticism i'm going to try to do better but just pointing out some inaccuracies yeah we um in me too yeah i have to just i get a little too overzealous sometimes and i get ahead of myself but and, uh in well. my defense you know we're usually in one of our parents' basement. It's late yeah, at night. Be quiet. Try not to you be know. too loud. How many times has Big Papa Baya come down and said, you know, enough. Two, yeah, two <laughs> floors above. You know, we're in the basement and he's on the third, no, second floor and he's like, I can hear you. When is it going to end? You know, of us just getting too loud. And, and that's not even drinking. That's just like with Mega Joe Cola, you know? That's the old days. That was like, you know. Yeah, that, that was, it is kind of like a flashback. To us being into, you <laughs> when know, you're little, we <laughs> were. There's a notorious time where uh, I don't know what happened. Maybe Blake and I hadn't seen each other for the summer, 
and we got back into college and I feel like it was more like senior year or maybe it was after we graduated. And, you know, so we graduated and we hadn't seen each other for a while and you came to stay for like a long weekend or a couple of days and then yeah, yeah. maybe we saw a buddy guy or something, but we were downstairs in my parents' basement and we were like just having a rip-roaring time and it was yeah, like three yeah. in the morning. I don't think we were even drinking no, or doing anything so. else. If we were, it wasn't a lot. No, and you know, and, that, and that's funny because I'm always the one pushing, used to push Blake to drink and he's like, I don't want you. I'm like, you're going to drink. But, um, and then my dad was just like, remember he opened, he was like, yeah. just, please, when's it going to happen? <laughs> Why don't you just go to sleep? I know we were like 23. Yeah, we're 23, and he's getting mad at us. Like, you know, like that's what I used to get in the old days when I borrowed, which was a couple weeks ago. We were talking about making our own um, our own home movies. I used to borrow the parents' video camera, and I'd go downstairs with my two friends, and we do like these comedy Saturday Night Lives, and we get so loud on a Saturday night because it was a sleepover. We do yeah. it, and they go to bed, and we wake the whole house up. And he's like, Give me the video camera, you know? But I'm like, We have to do an ending. You know? We're not done yet. We're not done. So, um, that got pretty funny. So we have to just, maybe we have to learn projection well, yes. so that we can keep our voice low, but it's still sustained. And then me, I have to just learn to shut up and let you talk sometimes, which is good. But I think that's honestly, I think that's probably a valid comment for either one of us. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think once of us, one of, when one of us gets on a, on a thing. We go. And we go, and then the other one tries to... I don't yeah. think that's specific. But I do feel you. like it happens a little more than me than to you. You know, I sometimes... You're like, if I can get my point in, and then I'm like, I get so quick, and then I, I feel like I talk too loud, and then when I listen to the playback, I'm like, oh, God, this is hard. I talk too much. I sound like a fucking idiot. You know, people who speak off high I'm trying to... Because you're trying to get all your thought in before you like, you know, because also... I guess a little inside baseball is we usually have like a deadline we're up against. We have to go to bed. We have to get up. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, other things are happening. We, we've BS too long while watching the movie pre-gaming or post-game, and then we have to record. So, like, sun's coming up, and we got to get ready because Blake's mom's coming to pick him up soon. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, so we, we're, but we're we do appreciate the comments. Yeah, and, and you know please. what? I, I have to say, though, um, putting those up front, Everything else is amazing. And not saying those weren't amazing. Thank you very much for that. And if you have more of that, send them our way. You know, we'll try to satisfy. And, uh, you know, uh, we like the edification, yes. but all the other stuff was has been amazing. I know it's been uh, it's been it's overwhelming. Been great that people have been so supportive. And please do continue to comment, especially on things like iTunes, because we're told that that makes a difference in iTunes. The yeah. more positive reviews you get, then the bigger you get up in the rankings. Yada yada yada. You become more visible to other listeners. Really, that's what I've been told. Yeah. I did get, there was a comment, there was a, uh, somebody reviewed the book on Amazon. Oh, well, I liked, is that the one that they didn't even read the book yet? <laughs> there, was, there was that one. That's great. He's like, I haven't read this book yet, but I know it's going to be great because I listened to the podcast. <laughs> He's like, Blake and Deanna, great. Yeah. Which, thank you very much. Yeah. There was one like on the UK, one on a different, not our Amazon, but a different Amazon, UK or Canada or something like that. And they gave it four stars, which is fine. Out but of five? Out of five. But then, like, it's just a glowing review. They don't say anything bad about them. <laughs> well, maybe they have a very high tier system. Like, they only give the Bible five stars. So maybe yeah, that's, yeah, to them, maybe. that's really, you know, you can't get five unless you're doing the Lord's work, you know? Yeah, maybe. So maybe for them, that's, like, a sterling review. I don't know. Um, I li I, how about that other dude that, that went and got it signed at one of your signings and then was, like, selling it on freaking... Black blackmail. You know? <laughs> he was selling it for how much? Because he got everybody's signature that was yeah. there for your signing that day in, in there was somebody, LA. Yeah, I found it on. I found the book on some kind of auctions or some site. It was some site I'd never found before. But occasionally, I'll just type the book into yeah, Google just to see if that's how like, we Google ourselves. A review <laughs> pops up. You know, there's been things that have happened that way. Like somebody just recently did 
I don't know if it's a podcast or an internet radio show that's about film music, and they did a Halloween special. <coughs> they didn't me. contact me or anything. I had no idea that it existed, but they did a Halloween special where they played excerpts from, uh, they played pieces of music by the composers in my book and read excerpts of my book throughout the throughout their episode. Oh wow! I probably wouldn't have found that had I not just Google and they didn't to think that. to like contact you or say, "Hey, would you like to have any involvement in this?" Or no. you're like, I would have did it. Yeah, I would have done it with you or whatever. But that was, I mean, it was very cool. Well, if see. you're listening, whoever that was, Blake's available. <laughs> he does. He, he he's available for parties, like both of us are. Um, but that's that's pretty good. That then, what was the? Oh, there was one other thing about that. The. Uh, getting stuff done and uh, recording and signing and nice things and oh yeah so somebody so somebody had a book signed at the at my signing in August and they were selling it on this website for some extraordinary yeah, amount, astronomical of money. amount of money it was like over a hundred dollars I book. think it was more it was like a couple hundred right or something like that because they had everyone's signature and it's like five, signed five of the composers not even read or something like that yeah. and it's like I guess everyone's trying to capitalize it's always a racket somewhere um, but we just got off of um a crazy Halloween season. Our October horror month of horrors. Halloween The horror binge. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, we've already <coughs> elected a new president, which is crazy. Uh, as of this recording, you know, we're, st- we're a weekend before, so we don't know what's going on yet. But, uh, you know, in our day lives, uh, Blake's an editor as well as Blake is a, was on a trip to England. Uh, he went to London to, 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 to take the sights tri- in. trip to London, met with some composers from the book. Yeah, doing some uh, networking for his book. I've been on the campaign trail with my job and I, th- I was wondering maybe we should do one day a cast on just us like what you do and just stories off and what i do just you know yeah. i work in cable news so i've been on the road can't you know following the different debates and stuff and because i work for a new uh, cable news and you do editing and then you were away so it's been so busy for us in october but it was so we got it yeah. we got it all in which was real that, satisfying and i did an episode of the wrong real podcast yeah where I talked, we talked all Romero. Yeah, which unfortunately Dion was going to be a part of that, but then because of yeah, I was in Vegas. Yeah, aforementioned. <laughs> yeah, I was on the campaign trail, campaign covering uh, the 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 last big uh, presidential debates. So I was stuck in the middle of the desert, you know, so, dying of thirst. And so, uh, if you want to hear me be very long winded, Romero waxing about, I haven't heard that about yet. the about the films of George Romero. We do <coughs> obviously mention the zombie movies, but we really want it because you could do a whole podcast a whole episode of course or a whole series series, just about his zombie movies we uh james and i uh, who host that uh, the wrong wheel podcast we've tried to focus more on his non was that a conscious decision or yeah yeah yeah, you're like hey well because my favorite film is martin yeah and i actually really like a lot of his other films and we feel we both kind of felt like aside from maybe creep show his other films don't really get their due yeah i think if you think compared to the first three zombie movies if you think of romero you do think of dead the dead movies are living dead and then i think that does maybe get swept under the carpet that he has yeah. a lot of other pretty good movies that and are a pretty eclectic body of work too. yeah like night riders <clears throat> and um you know his later stuff monkey did he do monkey shines he did monkey shine and, and the, the other dark half, dark half. And, then um, stuff as of late which i'm not as a fan of yeah bruiser was okay i, I like bruiser yeah um but then he, he's been doing all the zombie movies since then but still so Check out they they've been good to us. Uh, James has, has been good to us. Put, had me on for the book. We went on and did the talk to Romero. So check his podcast out and maybe someday uh, 
Well, Both Dion and I will be over there, or maybe we'll have him over for a sleepover. Yeah, that'll be weird. You can ask your mom. That's that's another one of those things where it's like, hey, can I have, uh, you know, Joe Blow sleepover? And like, who the hell? Who, who's Joe Blow? And then that's, now that we're at the adult age, you think about how awkward that is. I don't want some kid I don't know over the house. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know his parents. Yeah, I don't know his don't parents. Know his and you got to call the parents. And what happens if you think the parents are deadbeats? You're not going to tell the kid. You know? Oh, my dad probably would. My dad's just an yeah, idiot. His, his dad's yeah. a schmuck. Yeah, he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> They're idiots. You know? But you have this kid over you don't know. And then nowadays, I guess because everyone's so like helicopter parenting, you think about God, if the kid hurt himself, or God forbid, then the parents think they're going to get mad and sue or whatever. Because in the old days, the parents didn't really like you know, hyper-focus on what you were doing. Uh, well, that's funny you bring something like that up. There was this kid that lived two doors. <laughs> going back in time to Waterford, New York, uh, circa the early 90s. Um, there was this kid that lived two doors down from me, and he was a friend of mine. And uh, there was another kid that lived across the street from me. And uh, the kid that lived across the street from me went over and was hanging out at the kid who toured two doors down's house. Yeah. And they were fooling around, and he broke like a little eagle statue porcelain eagle statue or something the guy's dad was very into like outdoor he was very outdoorsy went fishing and and stuff like that so he had they had these porcelain figures of you know eagles and yeah other outdoorsy things and uh so they broke this thing. This, this kid broke. This was at a sleepover. Just I don't. It. I don't know if it was at a sleepover. <laughs> I like how this. You, I got it all secondhand after. I, it know, really was the because, rumor on the street. Well, because what happened was you had your ear. To the, the guy ground. wanted the kid or his parents to pay for it. Yeah, and apparently quoted a very high price for it. And so then, like the, the, the you know the 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 edict came down that none of us were allowed in that kid's house. Of course. Well, did the parents end up paying or they get into a dispute? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, That's when it gets So awkward. we were never allowed to go over to that kid's house because of the parents. Because of that parents thing. were assholes. I mean, we went over anyway, especially when nobody, you know, when nobody was home, you know, like summer days, we'd go over. His dad's also had a pretty awesome, like, 70s porn stash, like, hidden in the, in the closet. So we'd go over. <laughs> We'd go over and check that out. Imagine you break one of those. And the kid had Super Nintendo, and I oh, had yeah, Genesis, yeah. so yeah. it was, it was a chance. It was a chance to go over and play Super check, Nintendo. Check the competitor out and see play that. Play some Mario. I, you know, you yeah. think back now about the people you um, like. I remember playing with a friend of mine in like third or fourth grade, and that was the first. We go. I go over there during the day, and he lived far enough away where it was too far for me to technically bike. But I would bike over and just not tell my mom I was yeah, all the yeah. way down at Piper Street. And I'd hang out with him. And that was the first time we'd hang out during the day and watch, like, Pressure Luck. And I, I've always hated Pressure Luck up until I started watching it on Buzzer now. Now yeah, I'm like, yeah. okay, it's pretty good. But back then I hated it. So across the street from him, he had this, like, nerdy kid, which I still feel so bad about now because it was a great kid. But he had a Nintendo and he had, like, all the games. So I have, like, you know, really, really, like, um, uh, what's the word? Like, uh, uh big memories of going over to this kid's house and into his room and I can't I don't even I can't pick the kid out of the lineup now whatever but you go into his room and he had Contra and that's where I learned the you know up down up down left right left right AB you know start yeah, yeah. and then just like us just gaming you know or you know we had another kid who I lived with in fourth grade who I won't say his name because you know he's he's still around doing things but like you know he was a really brainiac and he was having a, a Halloween or a birthday party and he invited the entire class of like dudes so me and my friend Martin were like do you want to go and I was like I don't know and he lived like you know kind of close to us in the same town but then we heard that he was going to have Double Dare there 
And we're like, geez, we gotta go. Double Dare was the biggest thing <laughs> before yeah, the Double Dare. You know, Mark Summers and the, you know, I mean, the American Double Dare was like huge. And we're not talking about now the there's an old Double Dare with Alex Trebek. We're talking about the Nickelodeon <laughs> Double Dare. Yeah, you discovering know? the on buzzer that there's this whole other Double Dare yeah, from the seventies. You know, with with a mustache to Alex Trebek and like a pretty sweet looking hairstyle. So we go over there like Double Dare is gonna be there, and it was he had the Double Dare game. Yeah. You know, which was cool. He had the double dare game, but it wasn't. I'm, I'm envisioning like, yeah, freaking, like they set up the whole yeah, like, obstacle course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like f- going through the big nose, yeah, trying to you're pull a flag out, out of the. <laughs> you know, you're sliding down out of the mouth, and that guy Bob is there. They're like, hey there, back to you, uh, Matt Summers. You know, whatever the guy's name was. I was thinking he was going to have the entire show there. Maybe you know, we're going to leave with like bottles of green slime yeah. shampoo. You know, we were going to freaking yeah. The, the constellation prize. We're going to have a studio audience there. <laughs> And no, it was just him. I was like, oh, this sucks. But he, again, the reason I bring him up is that he had an extensive video game collection. So we just spent the entire day in there in his room playing video games. So it's kind of sad that we, you know, you kind of can't hang out with certain people for reasons back then. You have your core friends and you go hang out with a third kid. And it's like, oh, well, well you're semi-using up. Over it. You're yeah. Kid. I have gone to therapy about it. <laughs> you're just a stupid kid back then. Yeah. As we all were. So we got through October, which but was speaking great. of kids. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, and, we had the great October. Yeah. Covered a wide range of horror movies yeah and then then i don't even know how we had people guessing before you know it was like <laughs> yeah, almost we, insider information no were we asking i guess we were we were dropping hints. yeah but, but they were very they're very vague we're doing a tv movie and that was it and then people would know it we're doing a movie that involves aliens in the 80s they knew it yeah, and yeah. it's like uh you know we've, we've actually looked at all of our interns and pretty we, sure nobody guessed that we were doing this this week yes yeah we, <laughs> we want to do a left turn but we so we had a big meeting with all of our people and we made sure that nobody was like you know because you know, there's a lot of like you know espionage insider espionage mm. so making sure nobody was slipping in for out like you know because god you know WikiLeaks. who knows if people are getting <laughs> our emails and releasing them so so yeah. we're, we were just so we made sure nobody there was no leaks on our end in our in our studios so um but these people were guessing what we were doing and i couldn't believe it so but people really loved our our um it was a good collection of movies i think yeah yeah and then on halloween they played uh, turner classic movies was doing a month long of christopher lee so then on it's halloween funny, i was gonna before i left for london i was gonna post that on facebook and then just because compl- i saw that they were pl- gonna play it and i compl- i completely forgot this that i was gonna post that they're gonna play the mummy on so-and-so date at this time so that anybody hadn't seen it they can so i was thrilled to see that you posted it yeah i got home early because i've been doing election rehearsals prior to it so my schedule was different so i got home and i sat, sat down to do some work and then i turned it on and they had a whole night of Christopher Lee and one movie called The Devil's Bride, which was uh, uh, came out the same year as Rosemary's Baby, where Christopher Lee plays a protagonist, which we were just asking about in the Mummy cast, like yeah. when he plays a protagonist role. Very kind awesome. The same thing kind of happened last year. I remember Mad Love played. Yeah, right around like the right around the time, like the day or two after we. Who knew that posted. Robert Osborne was a fan of the cast and he was he was <laughs> getting programmed. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's telling that other guy, the younger guy, whatever his freaking name was with the ben class. Malkowitz ben Malkowitz or whatever was like, his name is. To, 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 uh, you know, to turn their programming a certain way. But they had on Christopher Lou, they had Devil's Bride, they had the mummy, and then they had maybe a Dracula. I forget what the third one was. I didn't watch that one. But it was cool. Halloween night, seeing something like that. That was really cool. So I was excited about that. And then we did Night of the Creeps. My Halloween night was spent. Oh geez! No, how about your Halloween day? Well, Halloween, all of Halloween day. Yeah, you did. The, you did the pagan special. pagan rituals. <laughs> I did a. I did a very pagan. A la Wicker Man, a Wicker Man with Christopher I Lee. I did. Uh, you were in London. Halloween morning. Yeah, I was in London over Halloween. So I went, Halloween day. I went to Stonehenge. Yeah, I was trying to like you know Halloween druids. <laughs> 
you know, Halloween 3 is all about Stonehenge. I was like, yeah, Halloween, I'm going to go to... Find out Druids had nothing to do with it. It was made like hundreds of years before the Druids even existed. But still, awesome. Yeah. And then Halloween night, I was seeing John Carpenter live for the third time. Wow. (laughs) In the east end of London. You saw him in New York, you saw him in D.C., and then you saw him out in London. Has he been touring since then, or that was just a a one-off? He's been... No, he's been touring somewhat steadily, you know, not not like every night or anything. Because you've been in the summer, because I was like this close and I'm putting my finger up like inches to go with you in, in the garden yeah. in New York but then it was I had to go to the uh, RNC convention for my job <laughs> damn yeah the lecture yeah I know and I, it was a Friday I was only f- that was the worst part was it was only a travel day for me yeah, it was like yeah. the Friday he was playing was the day I was flying out so I wasn't even had to be there till Saturday or Sunday but that was the day that they were sending us all out to Cleveland yeah. I was like no I want to see Carpenter so Carpenter <laughs> <laughs> so I missed and you seen him three times Saw him three times, yeah. I got to meet somebody who, uh, Gavin from Spun Out of Control. I think that's a record label. He's a, fr- he's a follower of our friends on Twitter for the book. I'm oh, wow. quoting Twitter for some reason yeah. with air quotes. Air quotes. And uh, so I got to meet him before the show, so that was kind of cool. That's Apparently sweet. there were other people, horror, a lot of other... Horror music in in England is a big thing for some yeah. reason. Um, that's where Death Waltz Records was started and still exists to a certain extent, even though Mondo and them kind of paired up. And Mondo's a company from Austin. And then the other, uh, uh, many of the top like horror, uh, not horror, but uh, film soundtrack podcasts are done out of London or or in the, in, in the UK. Um, so there's a lot of people there. Unfortunately, I didn't get to meet up with a lot of people, but I got to meet up with Gavin. And uh, Was it by coincidence, John. or you were like, oh, yeah? I guess he was at the Frizzy show. Fabio Frizzy. Yeah, I saw Fabio Frizzy you two, met days, him there. two days before, and I got to meet Fabio, and he signed my book for me. And the, and the actress speak- from The Beyond. <laughs> yeah, she's actually in, she's best known from The Beyond, but she's actually in... City of the Living Dead, a.k.a. Okay. Gates of Hell as well, yeah. and one other Fulci movie. Um, Fat Frizzy and Carpenter are both in the book. So I went to the Frizzy show, and I had posted a picture from the Frizzy show, and he commented. He's like, oh, I must have been sitting, like, you know, a couple rows back from you, judging from the picture. And then he said, uh, are you going to the Carpenter show? Because I would love to have... He wanted to have his copy of my book signed yeah. by me, which is which was a great honor. Yeah, that's real humble. Uh, so we met up before the show in the lobby, and he brought his book over so I could sign it, and then we chatted for a few minutes. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and then I got to see Carpenter play the theme from Halloween on Halloween. On uh, Halloween at uh, was what was the venue? It was called the Troxy. Yeah, it's uh, East End. You it's said in the East End. Yeah, we stayed in the East End. Sweet. Um, turned out. Carpenter's band also stayed in a hotel. <laughs> and Oh, because uh, you were tweeting his wife, weren't you? Well, yeah, well, I tweeted his wife because I saw Sandy King, his wife, at the show, but I didn't want to bother her, you yeah, know, yeah. so I didn't, I didn't say anything to her. And so I tweeted his wife, and then it's funny because then the night before I left London, I came back, and I saw that his drummer was sitting in the lobby talking to somebody. And I was like, oh, my God, Carpenter's in this hotel. I'm talking low. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Carpenter's in this hotel right now. Yeah. So I emailed Sandy, his wife, and I said, hey, this is Blake. I wrote this book. John's in it. Um, I would love to have him sign the book. Yeah. Because I now have have eight out of 14 signatures. You're getting there. From... 
you know I people have, in, that were interviewed for the book people that are in there's 14 composers interviewed for the book i so, so far eight of them have signed it um for me with nice little notes i mean they're all great guys so i said if you know if not tonight maybe tomorrow morning and then the next day i walked downstairs to grab i don't know a bottle of water or something from the bar and i see like the band loading the last couple of things into a, like a truck or a van i guess it was like not a full-size bus but bigger than a van somewhere yeah. in between loading like the last bit of equipment and they getting on and driving away and it was like one tear comes in and i was like john <laughs> no i think john's in that truck in that uh, bus Did they have thing. other dates in um they were England? leaving the next show was in uh, austria oh wow i believe um I could be wrong, but it wasn't in England. And it was somewhere else in only. Europe. He did one night only. He ended yeah. up doing two nights because the first, because Halloween night sold out really quick. So yeah. then he ended up doing November 1st as well. Oh, that's cool. So I, uh, I don't know why, but it put me in a big funk that yeah. I didn't get that. It was like, it that was like, I mean, you know that have, that's my syndrome when we remember uh, when we always go places and then I get my hopes up that we're going to somehow meet these people and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what are you doing? And then, <laughs> And then I don't, and then I'm like, oh. and I yeah. guess it's because I totally had that experience. <laughs> yes. like, I never really understood it when it happened to you. There's been a couple of times where we went to see concerts, and somehow you got it in your head we were going to be like backstage. Well, I guess out because we were spoiled sometimes, and we'd met like you know, say I got buddy got to sign a poster, or yeah, we got yeah. somebody. So I, for some reason, thought that's all. But that's like, how it I works. totally understood it because I was bummed out for like the rest of the day. And the funny thing was, I'm going to go through the story really quick because we need to get to today's show. I take the plane back. Uh, Wednesday is when I see them leaving. I take the plane back to New York uh, Wednesday afternoon. I get in Wednesday night. You land. We're sat like on the tarmac or whatever for like 30 minutes before they bust us in to, oh, yeah. to leave. So they're like, you can turn your phones back on. So I put the, you know, my card, my, like the, whatever it's called, card, my the, SIM card. Yeah, the SIM card back in because I had a European SIM card while I was away. And I get this email from Sandy King saying, oh, unfortunately, the guys left this morning. And I emailed her back, thanks for the reply, blah, blah, blah. Um, Yeah, I actually saw them leaving. And uh, then I just, you know, kind of wrote her like a personal message. Um, And then she got back to me. She's like, honestly, Blake, John wasn't even staying in that hotel, so don't beat yourself up over it. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) And and I totally, I didn't even, like, I really tried not to make it seem like I was bummed out in the email, but somehow she knew that, like, I was kind of bummed out about it, even though my email doesn't indicate that at all. It was really like, oh, I saw them leaving. Maybe I'll have Sean, his assistant, get it signed for me. Um, And then I thanked her for talking Carpenter into touring because she was the one that was like, you should do it. Go ahead and do it. When's the last time? When's the next time you're gonna be able to tour with your kids? You know, tour the world, play music with your kids. So I thanked her for talking talking into it because I was like, he was the reason why I wrote this book. Yeah, and it's about music. Yeah, and so like to be able to see him live, especially now three times. Yeah, it's like a super huge treat for everyone, especially for your journey of initially interviewing him and you asked him, will you ever? put out an album for of yeah, music yeah. and he said probably not. we talked about like the then, importance of his music when we did In the Mouth of Madness yeah. and how I cried the first time I saw him yeah. play alive. So, yeah. so I was like, that was my personal note. And there. you were the only one you went to see with our good friend Dave Hastings, a contributor here. And then remember, he had like the same Halloween experience in D.C. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he, Dave, me and Dave are one friends because of Carpenter. Two, Carpenter's music 
means as much, if not more, to Dave than it does to me. So it was a, it was a real treat getting to see him with Dave. But now, so that was just a little taste of my Halloween since we were talking New about Halloween. Hall- since we were talking about Hallow- our Halloween extravaganza. Yeah, and but now I'm just I'm just happy that we were able to get all four out. We did it all. We 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 uh, we yeah. always set ourselves that high bar. And it we, was a little rocky there. We were able to satisfy. <laughs> yeah, you know, we. Lo- I think I like I said that I took a year off my life doing this whole election season and with my day job but it's good that we're here now and uh now we're into november all of a sudden and I don't know we're already we're, on the home stretch for I know, you until know christmas and then the rest of 2016 i don't know what we're going to do for thanksgiving this year we've had two thanksgiving classics yeah and last year i thought we were kind of like scraping uh, the bottom of the pan <laughs> Oh, come on. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it's it's bad. I'm saying like you're trying to figure out what else yeah, to do. Yeah. You know, we're like really looking, you know, because like, you know, we maybe we should have kept plane trains and automobiles as like, you know, put that in our pocket. But that was the first one out of the gate. Well, we'll figure something yeah. out. Yeah. And then, yeah, well, so, we'll, you know, we'll see if we even do something th- Thanksgiving themed, which I think we probably would. But, you know, but then like in discussing this week's, this is like the one off between Halloween and the Thanksgiving yeah. one. We're trying to think of what to do. And we hadn't done an animated movie this year, and we had, and then we're like, well, that doesn't really matter, but you know, it'd be fun to do something light because we just did this, and so we picked something completely form. tragic and dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we just picked the same thing we're into, which is great. <laughs> and we picked, a, and then we picked two stories that are just, just much so more fucked up than the horror movies. Yeah. We so so sad, and they're just like Shakespearean um, tragedies. And um, so this is actually new territory. Yeah, I was going to say this is this is us segueing into like something we haven't done. We've done television before. We've done television movies. We've yeah. done animated movies. Yeah. We are the Saturday Night Movie sleepovers. sleepovers. But that term, I guess, if you want to go in and psychoanalyze it, that can be loosely based because sometimes you go to a sleepover and you watch wrestling on television, yeah. or you watch a pay per view event, or you just binge your favorite TV show with friends. Yeah, you know, or, even back then, you know, you know somebody a friend had something taped, or even you go to the video store and you video buy the store you know, and you end up renting. So uh, under that guise, if you were to go to the video store and you were to go look at the cartoon section and you could probably find what we're about to do probably back then on video and it probably would have cost you like your parents 20 bucks to buy one episode on freaking videotape (laughs) i will yeah and i will also say that you know if nothing else our show's about nostalgia yeah and love yes our, uh, our mutual love for, for each other, <laughs> for each other, and for movies and and such from our childhood uh, and other things. But uh, there are few things I have more nostalgia for than this. There are more, or there are no. There are few things. Oh, there are a few things that I have more nostalgia for. <laughs> there are this. there are a lot more things I have nostalgia for. This thing is uh, Batman the animated series is. Wow. One of my favorite television shows of all time. Not favorite cartoons. Yeah. Uh, I was just talking to somebody recently um, about, you know, if you had to pick your favorite TV shows of all time, like if you had to pick, I don't know, five, seven, that, that's, ten. That's, that's always tough If you really me. had to do that. That also, also, that just immediately gives me anxiety. Pick. I, you know, I hate you know, this. People I'm the always say to me, what's your favorite horror? You, oh, you went to film school? What's your favorite movie? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know? when I do all these, vin- when I was promoting the book, oh, everybody yeah, was yeah, asking yeah. me, like, what's your favorite horror movie? What's yeah. your favorite horror what movie? What are your top score? five? That's even harder. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, five. But, I mean, just like, I was like, you know, for shits and giggles, 
just let's name like five, seven of our favorite television shows. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be our all-time favorites, but like five of our seven. That you're maybe into now, or that you've been or into, just like yeah, in, ever. You know, yeah, just yeah. ever. Like, they were your story. Yeah. <laughs> they were your story at some point, and you still love them. Werewolf uh, and 21 Jump Street. <laughs> 21 <laughs> Jump Street tops the list for me. <laughs> Perfect Strangers. <laughs> Perfect, Perfect Strangers and like, Growing pains, a little li- a little further down the line, but still yeah. on the list somewhere. But uh, they were like, "Well, what are yours?" And I was like, "Well, Star Trek, yeah, uh, of course, Girl, Twenty One Jump Street, Batman the Animated Series." And we're in a Star Trek shirt right now. I know, and there's a little tie to this. I don't know if you picked up on it uh, in one of the episodes. Um, I think so. Yeah, what's his face? Yeah, we have, yeah, his, he's played a, a Klingon. He played the Klingon. Yeah, that's my Klingon University shirt. I'm wearing. That's an exclusive from the Star Trek off. <laughs> Mission show that I had to buy because they fucking sold out and they didn't think about the people who were coming on Sunday. Oh, oh yeah, we sold out Friday morning. Oh, you had freaking 48 days left of people coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's Star Trek. $72. Convention. Yeah. But so animated yeah, series, big yeah. deal. I know that you have a, a lot of nostalgia for it. It was one of the many things we've talked about that there are certain things that when we met, uh, along with Sinatra and Looney Prima. <laughs> <laughs> mutual. Oh, well, that's the thing. I was in Vegas, so I'm in Vegas mutual singing Louis love for Louis Prima. I'm singing Louis Prima, and I get all these people like, "How do you know who Louis Prima is?" I'm like, "How don't you? How don't you know who Louis Prima is?" And you'd be surprised if people. I guess now because we're getting older, people don't even know who Frank Sinatra is. But it's like yeah. you know Frank Sinatra, but like Louis Prima. So it's like, yeah, it's hilarious when I think about that weekend when we were moved in together. Like, you like Louis Prima too? And it's like, yeah. you know, who we're, else? None of my friends had Louis Prima CDs. I'm the fucking guy with Sinatra and Louis Prima CDs. Yeah. And then I get a guy who not only did I become good friends with, but like they stick us in a room together that have the same major. We're roommates. Yeah. And we- The same CD collection. We brought the same, basically the same <laughs> CD collection, except you hit me to Sabbath. And then um, I don't know if I hit you into any kind of music initially. Oh, sure. I mean, you I know? know like, I, you know, I think everybody, everybody goes through a Doors phase. So I had some Doors. But uh, you, you definitely hipped me on to, to more door stuff. Oh, more than you needed. <laughs> At the time, more than I was ready for. Yeah. <laughs> I was knee-deep in that, in my doors uh, phases. But yeah, so it's hilarious that like, along with our musical um, stuff that bonded us together... Uh, we had mutual love for movies at the time, and we yeah, had a mutual we were love both for in these film school. Yeah, for and then a lot of the same, I guess, of that era, a lot of the same milestone films that people like, like Clerks or Reservoir yeah, Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, we came from a certain we, era. We were, you know, we were the right age for that kind of independent movie boom. Yeah, of the '90s with uh, Robert Rodriguez and especially Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith and. Uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, Scorsese so, even, the, and the, then, the generation know, before those guys, yeah, but those pillars. Like, you know, but like Goodfellas kind of had a big resurgence yeah. of, for him in the 90s. And so we were all, we were, both of us were very uh, into that kind of stuff. So, um, But along with that, we, we there was a bunch of, a crap load of even cartoons we loved growing up together. Yeah, yeah. You know, we loved, we, we've always been fans of cartoons. We've never made that a, a secret here. We've talked about the cartoons we love. We've even maybe done a side cast on cartoons, I think. Maybe not that aired here, but maybe it will yeah, one day. I don't know. You know, I, I thought remember. I feel we like did we, a lot. Did. we did way more of those sidecasts than I realized. I know. And then when you look at the list, you know, <laughs> it's and like, the, did we do that many? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. And like, you know, and then also with my old uh, site that we're kind of affiliated with Podwitz, we had done a couple, two or three part talking about animation and movies and yeah. stuff. And this is always the we, topic of this podcast is always something that comes some up. Some of our earliest episodes were Transformers and G.I. Joe. Joe. Yeah, yeah. And those were f- huge hallmarks in the 80s for people of our age childhood when yeah. you were growing up in the 80s along with saturday mornings 
you know, 80s was G.I. Joe Transformers. And then, you know, when you get out of that into like the early 90s with the success, like we always put up as Batman for us, for our generation, yeah, Tim yeah. Burton's Batman. Like a milestone movie yeah. for our generation. Like the generation before is maybe Star Wars and stuff like that. With that, post-Batman, um, you know, into the early 90s, you get, uh, you know, we've done Dick Tracy and Which we did we The have, Flash. Yeah, we have epic you know? episodes. But they all tie together. Batman. Nine, 1989's Batman. If, yep. you want, if you haven't, you can go back into our catalog. We have an epic episode on Batman. We have a pretty epic episode of Dick Tracy. Yeah, we went through that one of our history. earliest, earliest episodes. We did the Flash, the pilot, pilot, pilot the Flash. movie for the 90s Flash the television 1990 show. Flash, because at the time, the WB's Flash new show was coming out, which is still on television. Yeah. Do you watch it still? I do watch it, yeah. Yeah, so it's still going strong after a couple of years, and... Uh, we bring only that up because there's a lot of elements because of the success of, I think, Batman and then maybe Dick Tracy. Uh, you know, The Flash has all these elements that then got greenlit. And I think maybe only had a season. And then I forget now. We have to go yeah. back and listen to that show. And then it's not. It's like the whole series you can get in one box set. Yeah, for like so, five dollars. Deep discount. So it's not a lot of episodes. Yeah. And then, but it's also the series that gave us Mark Hamill as the Joker. Yeah. And a lot of people who, uh, well, not a lot of people, but some people who worked on that ended up coming over and doing this. And this was. Not that Mark Hamill played the Joker, but he played a different character, yeah. which gave them the idea. They to thought have about Mark hey, Hamill test, test for the Joker, yeah. you know. And I still haven't figured out why. I guess we're getting a little ahead, but why <laughs> they had to recast him from Tim Curry? I can't figure out what that story is because he recorded a couple episodes. I remember that first episode airing, and it was Tim Curry because yeah. I knew Tim Curry at the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Tim Curry. And then I don't even know at that point if if he revoiced that, and that's now. If you went and watched it, is that now? Mark Hamill's voice. I don't know. So I don't know. I I'd would love to have extras to hear those original tapes of Tim Curry yeah. doing. You know, I had heard. You can find like on Wikipedia that say that Tim Curry decided to drop out of it, but I don't know. I can't find any details as to why. If we got yeah, but that would that make them? Would that which make is funny because it? one of the episodes that we're doing tonight or uh, Heart of Ice, which is kind of the widely considered likely the most the the best like single episode of batman the animated series yeah they the, not the mark only hamill's in it yeah he plays uh the evil uh industrialite in it um, france uh, uh ferris boyle yeah but he just plays himself and then i think it was then he was like you know i really love what you're doing he plays a villain and then he's but like, yeah but he's you know like a right not a super villain yeah or whatever not part of the rogues gallery and he says to them you know like, i would love to do like one of the real villains yeah, who haven't you cast yet and they'd pretty much cast some stuff and they're like well we don't know we'll get back to you and then when tim curry dropped out for whatever reason they were thinking of who can they recast as the joker and they say hey let's give uh, mark yeah, hamill because a call. he played because the way he played the character that he played on the on the flash which was live a great time boy yeah and with that with a uh, you know throwing his voice but i mean you had a guy like um the uh, old actor clive ravel who did one episode as alfred and i think that might be the man bat episode and they recast him and they recast him as um what's his face uh um oh, what's the, the 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 gentleman's name uh ephraim uh I'll have to find it, the, the gentleman's name who then was recast as uh, Alfred and then played Alfred through the entire series. He's yeah. an older Ephraim something junior. Um, and 
I wonder why they just, you know, they didn't re-rec- re-record his voice, which is interesting. So I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if they I wonder if there was a... If they re-recorded Tim Curry. No, the, well, they said that there was a couple of episodes that were recorded by Curry and they had to re... And that was also another reason why they, they were looking for someone in particular because they had to get somebody who was familiar with ADR. Because uh-huh. since it was already recorded and animated, yeah. they had to have someone go back and then and be able the right to timing, yeah, and, and hit the hit the certain beats, uh, but successfully. I think we need to go f- even a little further back and put in the context that 1989's Batman comes out, mega success. Yeah, they greenlight a sequel, Batman Returns, that comes out in 1992. So during the production of Batman Returns with Tim Burton. Warner Brothers decides to revive Batman as an animated series, uh, take the property, and have it basically come out, uh, you know, I guess it could pre, or was it right after Batman Returns, Um, but it's kind of, they're making it at the same time. The the gentleman's name is Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. And he voices Alfred for the rest of the show. Yeah, you only had one guy, Clive Ravel, do the, 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 the one and then he, he replaced him. He does it for the rest of the show. And him and Bob uh, Hastings, I think is uh, Bobby Hastings, who, funny enough, I see now in McHale's Navy. He's the voice of Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. And those are the kind of bookmarks of the show. Him along with Kevin Conroy, those are like the three pillars that are like the glue. Even yeah. though if they only have an, a line or two through the whole show, they're like the foundation. Everybody else are kind of like guesting, which is great. So like you're saying is they, they Batman comes out, it, it drops and it's huge. And... Um, at the time, they're also kind of reviving Warner Brothers. Is um, they want to go back to the old glory days of like the Looney Tunes they had, and they, they, yeah. they revitalize their animation department. And at the time, there was a um, a woman called Jean McCurdy who was the head of the Warner Brothers animation department, and they had greenlit uh, Tiny Tunes. And Tiny Tunes was a huge thing that Steven Spielberg was a part of, and they wanted it was a big thing. Like, oh, Steven Spielberg's gonna you know yeah. interested in doing. Uh, cartoons and they were trying to work out like a like a theatrically released movie with him helming a Tiny Toons or a Looney Tunes ish movie, which didn't really end up happening. But I think that gave that straight to D, straight to video movie, the Tiny Toons movie, How I Spent My Summer Vacation. That one, I think that was what the culmination of that effort was. And then yeah. he went on to do Animaniacs. So at the time, because of the popularity of Tiny Toons, um, they were looking to look at other material they had. And then when Batman comes out, they go, hey, we, we're sitting on Batman. Maybe we can try to figure out a way yeah. to do Batman. And um, their idea was that they wanted to do a, a show of Batman that took uh, itself, the property, and the material seriously. And almost they wanted to do like mini movies is how they marketed it. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to be dramatic. Uh, they didn't want it to be comedic. And they wanted to be a right turn away from what traditionally was happening now with the Tiny Toons and all. And they had to pitch this to Warner Brothers. Well, you also got, you know, and obviously we talk a lot about this in the Batman cast, so we're not going to go too far in, yeah, yeah. into it. But, you know, Batman, obviously in the 60s, you get the Adam West, you know, 66 Batman show. And then into the 70s. You have the Super Friends and stuff like that in animated form. He, he kind of comes plus back. these guests on like Scooby Doo. He kind of comes back after the '60s, which was really, you know, the it was a great interpretation of it. The escapism of the era, you know, he's kind of looked at as like not taken fully seriously. And then in the '70s, he's kind of in the comic books, kind of recast the series. He's the detective. He's yeah. the scientist. You know, the shake the, the Sherlock Holmes is kind of a character. In the '80s, he's but in that but at that time in animated in like no, he's a more in a different you know not in the comics but in like you know, super film friends, video and stuff. Studio, yeah. It's still kind of lighthearted. Yeah, and you know, you have Olin Soul voicing him, and then even um, 
you get uh, Adam West comes in, and it's still kind of until Batman, until the comic books, like we said, the Alan Moore, Killing Joke, or the Frank Miller, uh, Dark Knight, you know, and then culminating with Tim Burton's movie, he's still kind of, they don't know what to do with him. Are they going to make it lighthearted? Are they going to make it G.I. Joe-ish? Yeah. Or are they going to make it semi? And that's a new, that's new area too, ground. I mean, the only people who've ever really done that, which is a big influence we'll talk about, is the Fleischer cartoons from the 40s yeah. that uh, Universal, I think, paid. And that's what, then that was the next thing that they said to... to, to um, to Fox, so they pitched the, well, to to to, to uh, Warner Brothers. The, you know, they they want to g- go back and they want to look at the core motivations of the characters, uh, the core concepts well, yeah. of the original and idea of the comic. Also, at that point, we're coming off of. You're talking about the series, the series, yeah, because yeah. we're coming off of Bat- Batman, the eighty nine, yeah, and how successful that was, and which takes a dark a darker look. But I would argue that Batman the animated series is the first time to take Batman. And the subject matter totally seriously. Yeah. Even 89's Batman for the time seemed very dark and very serious, but there was a little bit of camp and a, and a bit of silliness to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, much less than Batman had ever been kind of explored outside of the comic books. But. And that's so Still, hard. So and Batman, so Batman, the animated series. Well, they done it back, say, with the serials and the radio shows. Yeah. But then, but then even that's but, dated, but to do it in contemporary and then in, a, in the format of a cartoon. Which is kind of yeah. unheard of because it's I like, mean, like which, who's your audience? Do you want it to be like liquid television, MTV people at night watching, or do you want it to be kids? So there's a, and you have to also there's a big elephant of the room is violence. They have to be really cognizant of violence and you know showing too much violence. And there's a lot of like uh, restrictions on what they can and can't do on a show. So they had to work all around this format, which sometimes breeds a lot of great. You know, limitation, like you always yeah, say, yeah. Braid, breeds creativity. Creativity you know, limitations can can make make an artist think of more creative ways to accomplish things than they might if they not, didn't have those limitations. But it's also co- coming out to coincide a little bit with Batman Returns, and so the Tim Burton Batman movies definitely are an influence. One, the music. Yeah. Um, the the originally the opening theme is kind of a a, a, a different take on Tim, on uh, Danny Elfman's music, but then they end up getting Shirley Walker, who worked with uh, Danny Elfman on the on the Batman movies for Tim Burton, to come in and do the music. Uh, amazingly, by the way, yeah, uh, Shirley Walker, big underappreciated talent in the film music uh, community. She did. She also took. Tied into what we were talking about earlier, the Flash. She did. She did the Flash, and she also did. Uh, she worked with Carpenter on a few scores yeah, as well. Yeah, in the Escape 90s. from New York, uh, Escape from LA, and stuff. Maybe you even know. memoirs. Yeah, she might have done memoirs. Well, they had seen when they were developing, they wanted to take the um, the Danny Elfman type music, and that's the way they wanted to go with it. But then I guess they saw a making of Batman. Bruce Tim talks about yeah. seeing a making of the of Batman. On TV, and then they saw all the uh, B-roll. The orchestration was done by this. They saw this woman leading the uh, orchestra, and like, who the hell is that? And it was Shirley Walker doing all this stuff. So they went and contacted her, and she was off the flash. Yeah. And like, that's the same kind of music we want. And it's very much like Dick Tracy, because what's his face did Dick Tracy as well, um, Danny Elfman. Yeah. So it's like that kind of, that's what they're looking that, for. That, and for anybody who is a diehard music lover, film music lover, loves the music from this uh, show specifically. Mondo released a, a beautiful vinyl set That's crazy. of like 12 episodes worth of music yeah. from the Batman. Which the is like almost series. unheard of. You think of like a cartoon. 
I mean, I can't really think of like, I mean, like there's different like Star Trek and you stuff can, like that. But yeah, and you can get like the themes for Batman and the Superman animated series as like a one disc, but that, to actually do a box set of vinyl records. On episodes of, like, of all the music from, from like, like I said, like something like 12 episodes of the series. Yeah. It's, uh, it's absolutely, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, the set itself. So that, that's definitely worth checking out if you're into it. But then the show, also, the movies also influence like, for instance, in those early episodes, episodes the penguin is kind of modeled off of Danny, uh, Danny DeVito's yeah. penguin and Batman returns which was something that they didn't even really want to do uh, creatively for the show but because they were coming out at the same time Warner Brothers wanted to keep some kind of continuity well that was though. that was a part of the selling point so you have um, you have Bruce Tim who we said comes in to help develop with uh, Eric Rumdumsky and another guy named Alan Burnett Tim would uh, done G.I. Joe and He-Man animated stuff and he started working on uh, Mighty Mouse in the late 80s. Then he went to go do a show called Bernie and Cecil which must have been the revival of the old Bob Clampett show yeah. and that was an absolute disaster. There was a lot of fights with the studio about ways to go. So he either quit or separated from that and he decided he'd never do animated work again. He tried to get work at Marvel and DC and they weren't hiring so he ended up getting uh, work as a colorist at First Comics doing um, coloring, colorizing and he got little pay and long hours and he just got really frustrated and finally that's when the job for Tiny Toons came, of, came along so he went on to Tiny Toons even though he said he wouldn't do animation again loved it did it for two years and that's when they said uh, we're going to develop a more stylized kind of a Batman show and he was like that's freaking awesome that's what I've always wanted to do I'm a, he was a huge yeah. fan of Batman he, and he ends up having a huge mark on this show and um, Burnett uh, Alan Burnett he did Smurfs he did DuckTales the movie and he was uh, a Disney guy and they actually when his contract ended up ex- expiring they ended up poaching him from Disney and they brought him on and then like I said along with the other guy Air uh, Rundumsky uh, which I'm probably pronouncing long like we always do yeah. or, or more I guess like I always do and then um, what they end up doing is they, they, they put this package together and they they went uh before everything got greenlit, they they wanted to make it beforehand known what what their goal was. So they went to Warner and they were discussing with Fox and they said, this is our idea for the show and you have to understand and sign off on this so we don't have problems down the road of what we want to do. And then, you know, they then what uh, Tim actually did was he cited... Uh, he was fans of the Max Fleischer Superman uh, shorts in the 40s. Mm-hmm. So he cited that saying, listen, this is what we want to do. This is, this is how yeah. we want to do the show. Which, thanks to public domain and, you know, and, and DVD, you can get for... The, you can watch them on YouTube for free. <laughs> yeah, you like know, you which can, I think we even these put are links. Maybe for the first time in the last 10 years, have, these have become totally, like, readily available yeah. to everybody via... You know, like $2 DVDs at the supermarket to these cartoon stations that you get with your Roku box, et cetera, et cetera. So and it's well worth, you should really go check you know, even out. Even if, you know, like even if, say, the stories aren't, you know, if you don't find yourself a fan of the stories as you watch them, like the animation is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and it's funny that at the time, the guy, Bob Collier, who was the voice of Superman on the radio show, who also shows up being in the 50s, which is we were just talking about Buzzer. He's one of the game show hosts. I think of, like, I Got a Secret, Bob Collier. They, they wanted to bring in the kids who'd go 
sh- see the show on a Saturday morning because they listen to the radio show. So they had him voice whatever. There's very little dialogue in these Fleischers, but whatever there is, they brought him over <laughs> and the other woman who was playing Lois Lane to voice the one-off dialogue, yeah, which yeah. is well, really like, awesome. Take it, for instance, what was that movie about ten years ago? The one with Sky Jude Captains? Law. Yeah, Sky Captains. Land of tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. or something like that. There's so much of stuff. So that, homage to that, and it's sad that homage. kind of failed. And I mean, for whatever reason, but that is really like has a, a foot family, a foot firmly planted in that reality of yeah. the of the Fleischer show. So they go to like uh, Warner Brothers and and Fox, who they're looking to sell the the, the, the distribution rights to, kind of I guess um, this and. Uh, they cite the super the Fleischer cartoons, but then like Warner's hesitates because uh, those were the I think up until the time the most expensive shorts ever done. Paramount at the time was paying Fleischer Studios a hundred thousand dollars per episode, which is basically like four times the average cost of like the forty shorts. Because back in the day, the MGM and Warner Brothers shorts were expensive because they were theatrical shorts that were going to movies, and then which I think we've got into in the past, once the 50s came out and the Hanna-Barbera came into play, that kind of threw a big like um, uh, uh, thing in the system, a big monkey wrench, and it's messed everything up. But those were, you know, a shitload of money were going into these shorts. And then on top of that, you get these flasher shorts were like almost rotoscoping. Yeah. And it was a shitload of money. So they're like, they're like, whoa, those things cost a lot of freaking money to do those right. So eventually they were able to... Uh, they were able to, to, I guess, sell them on it, you know. Uh, and the big selling point for Fox was, well, Batman Returns is coming out very soon. So this is perfect because this is a mar- marketing. And Batman ter- Returns will come out, and then soon after we'll have a freaking cartoon show to sell to the kids. Yeah. So plus, they greenlit it. Plus the fact that the, the Tim Burton series were kind of so dark. Yeah, yeah they could was, always... Every time they got pushback from, from the studios about like you're going a little too dark with a child's cartoon show they'd be like the Tim Burton movies made Same a gazillion money yeah. gazillions amount of dollars and kids went and saw those and loved it so like let us do what we want to do and so in a, in a big way the Tim, the success of the Tim Burton movies gave uh, Bruce Tim and, and Eric Radomski the freedom to be able to do the show that they wanted to do which is the show that has now you know, become what it is because they get, well because they had such support behind years Warner Brothers later or whatever we're sitting here talking about it right here on this show they really had the support Warner Brothers support behind him and then Fox ultimately that was the basically sadly the selling point Fox says yeah okay that's great we're going to be able to market a cartoon show and they, they presented it to them as Fox as a dramatic series that's what they wanted to do so they bought the rights back to this Canadian company called uh, Novella or uh, I think that's the name of it um, and um Fox ends up buying the Batman uh, show in a package uh, of 65 episodes. And the package also had that show Tasmania in it. Yeah. And maybe Animaniacs. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah it and maybe even <laughs> Griswold. I remember about that show. Yeah. It was a stroke of brilliance. Yeah, exactly. Every time the dad would start talking to Taz. To Taz. He would start talking, and then once like Taz starts like drifting away, not listening to his dad, he'd be like blah blah blah, yakety schmackety. <laughs> yeah, and then so they end up buying that show, and then uh, they started. Burnett had here's, tried to. Here's the thing: one thing I do have to say about weekday afternoons is like I remember so many shows, but they all couldn't have been on at the same time. You know, like there wasn't enough hours in so the yeah, afternoon you, you must to, think, to air them all. You must because you had the Disney afternoons. Well, those are like middle to late eighties, 
And then you had like things like Bobby's World. That's like Saturday morning. I <laughs> yeah, but that was they were on in the yeah. afternoon. Yeah, well, I, th- I wonder what the cycle was because I remember like going home and watching like really young, watching like Pinwheel on Nickelodeon. You're watching Today's Special, and then going over ch- changing because I knew GI Joe Transformers were on. But my point is, I had I had when I moved to Albany, I didn't have cable, so I had one channel. Yeah, a single channel that played afternoon cartoons in Philly. Well, this was in all the Albany area. Okay. In Philly, we had like three UHF channels, but in because you're New- closer to the city. <laughs> <laughs> but in Albany, it was like we had one channel, Fox twenty three WXXA. Of course, and the- <laughs> a local affiliate. <laughs> shout out! Shout out to the local affiliate. <laughs> and uh, so all these cartoons had to air on one channel. Yeah. Because even in, I mean, even well, I, I think the rotation. I moved there in like eighty eight, eighty nine. Yeah, and still Disney Saturday night, Saturday uh, Disney uh, afternoons were still in effect. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, that was. I mean, you had like. So you I know, guess maybe that they they must have they must have had because maybe, then you had like Darkwing Duck and Goof Troop. So it went for a long well, time. Well, that went into the, those were into the nineties. The first ones. But then were when like, the fuck was Batman? <laughs> well, Batman came out in the yeah, of course, the early nineties too. Yeah, so you had. I think saying, by that time, there was like too many I cartoons think, for the for the amount of hours we had to watch. Them. I think by that time you kind of like Gummy Bears was out of the rotation, Ducktales, yeah. and even maybe like. Um, uh, Rescue Rangers, and maybe you had Tailspin, and then you had Darkwing Duck. Yeah, so they just shortened the the yeah, afternoon, just know, in the afternoon, and they would just they would cycle out stuff and and and, and then other things and in, such. and then you had other shows like Cops, which I love, Fighting Crime oh, in yeah, a Future Cops, Time. Yeah, that was that another was, thing that you and I were the only ones <laughs> that <I> remember <laughs> that we still remember. And I want to cite here later on because there's a lot of elements in that I saw here, but it's like. Um, you had all these shows coming on, so I don't know if there was just a lot of... We didn't realize that, like, you know, stuff would just cycle in and out really... Especially Saturday mornings. You think of, like, the plethora of shows, yeah. of things that would come on, like Thundar or fucking, you know... Um, well, the, the all amazing... Those, th- you know, they were just... You know, even the Hanna-Barbera one-offs that were end up... They recycled on, like, Sunday morning Cartoon Express on USA. It's like yeah. all... It's, you know... Well, the amazing thing about the uh, the afternoon cartoons, and it's like when, ba- when uh, G.I. Joe came out in box sets on DVD and transformers and then this for instance like it was on every day yeah so like one season like you're saying it got picked up for like 65 episodes that's yeah that's a lot that could be like one season yeah well that's (laughs) maybe two they were daunted by that like holy shit 65 how are we going to sustain 65 episodes that's a lot i think that's 20 minute 20 23 minute program 65 you gotta have 65 storylines Maybe you have, yeah. what, 10 or two-parters? Luckily, they you know managed to find a group of really talented writers, guys like Paul Dini. And uh, you know, I, one thing I do want to mention, uh, and probably a lot of people that are into the show kind of already realize, but um, often mistakenly, Bruce Timm is thought of as being the guy that sets up stylistically what the show's going to be. Yeah. But actually, it was, it was Eric Well, he Rodomsky. had a lot of... He, he had a lot he, of... He like, kind of about the characters, yeah, but he, the he actual look of the, yeah. of the show was... Rodomsky and Rodomsky was the one that had the stroke of genius of like this the the, the dark deco is what they called it this kind of like art deco type of thing you know expanding on what Burton was doing with the movies but he was the one that came up with the stroke of genius like the show's so dark instead of taking the tradition of painting backgrounds onto like a white canvas will paint with lighter colors onto a dark canvas because there's so many shadows which was unheard of and it adds such a beautifully rich like depth to to the show that um it's kind of like unparalleled in in 
there's so much about this show that's kind of groundbreaking. Yeah, and, and especially something that hadn't been done like this before. Like um, Alan Burnett, who had worked at Hanna-Barbera years before and actually might have known, I think maybe McCurdy worked at Hanna-Barbera also back in the day. I might be wrong about that. But Burnett worked at um, Hanna-Barbera in the early 80s, and he tried to develop Batman there. And they were into it, Hanna-Barbera. But the problem was that... They both agreed, Hanna-Barbera and Burnett, that it should be dark and serious, but that wasn't acceptable yet in, in children's yeah. cartooning. And I brought up Thundar, and I think a Thundar was like a really fucking dark, dark show, and that's another one that you, me and you remembered, and you have, it gave me like a box set of that, yeah. that you had gotten. And it's like, that's a show where it's like post-apocalyptic Conan meets freaking Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. like a, that's a Saturday morning Thundar. show. Yeah, we're like the beginning of the show, like, as a comet goes by and takes away our atmosphere, the world fucking dies. <laughs> What's left? Everybody you know is dead. And the world turns on its axis. What's left is a post-apocalyptic world full of magic, sorcery, and imagine and post-apocalyptic zombies. And, it's like, <laughs> and every show, and that's another show where, I, you know, there's so many great yeah. shows we can highlight, but that was a fucking crazy show where it's like, uh, you know, and that's another one where they're great examples of like every episode has like great things. But so I was trying to rack my brain. I like back then, what are like, GI Joe? You could what you say about GI Joe and Transformers? They're not really serious. They kind of have there elements are, of cartoon. There, yeah, but there are some pretty serious like dark episodes. Yes, of GI yeah, Joe. I, I'll but I'll completely whole, give you that. But on a whole, you're right. But it's not like um, maybe that's like the, the one where like Lady J realizes that she's. She's uh, a relative of Destro's. Oh, and they the go fucking through black the whole, mask, uh, the whole thing yeah, with like the, the, man, iron, the mask. iron mask. And, this, <laughs> That's and, how he's, and they yeah. have like <laughs> they have the thing that lives in like the oh, bottom yeah, of the well. The, or it's the, it's the, the pink looking octopus that <laughs> yeah, comes out yeah. like that. That's a whole. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that's a fucked up. Or the episode where freaking um, uh, what's his face? Uh, who's the uh, the guy who we wanted Tom Savini to play him? Oh, shipwreck, shipwreck, shipwreck. He goes the flag goes down. He wakes up with amnesia and he's in his hometown. He doesn't realize and come to find out that they spoiler alert they cobra i don't know where cobra gets his money from they took they took him put him on an island that and they replicated his town they had everyone made out of clay remember yeah, that yeah. and like that's that one that we always cite where like roblox comes out of the car wash like sure was hot he starts <laughs> melting and shiprock's like oh like losing his mind and, yeah yeah and I mean, you know <laughs> there so was some i think that we that. may then have to then give the credit to where credit's due to like the writer slipping it slipping those oh, yeah, dark yeah. episodes in it's like you know with like star trek you slip in those really great gems of richard matheson or whatever through you know those oh, they're almost like commentaries on you know yeah. so but i was trying to rack my brain on like serious you know old you know that aren't really cartoonish because even like the best episodes of uh you know like cops there's elements of childishness in it that you have to now when you go back and watch like oh they're trying even ghostbusters we we're talking about that's a great show but then there's the ghosts aren't very scary they look kind of silly sometimes because they were trying to get the sl- pe- the kids who were in the slimer into the show yeah i but, mean there were some dark episodes yeah the oh, rosebud episode they're all no, exactly up. but i mean but like there are elements of it that they have to yeah you know i mean like this one i can only cite maybe R- robin but there's not really like you don't have like a slimer character who yeah, they're trying yeah. to make that gap no like i said you know? this is the first time i was trying to th- you're while you're thinking of that trying to rack your brain in this i'm trying to rack my brain of like how serious in outside of the comic books have a com- has a comic book property been taken totally seriously and you could say so i was like 
this could be the first one, really. But Incredible Hulk was pretty serious as a 70s TV show. Uh, live the, action. Yeah, the live yeah, action. Yeah. The Bill Bixby show. Well, you had like Superman. So that, was, like, that was serious. And then the, and the Superman show, although, I mean, the Superman movie with Christopher Reeves. I mean, I think Dick Tracy was serious. taken seriously. I mean, there's elements of there, the violence isn't as, as, as it could be. It's a PG movie. But yeah. you have like a lot of those early properties like Tarzan that are kind of taken. But it's but to find it in a but television is, cartoon or miniseries yeah. form that they know there's an audience they're trying to that's what a lot of times what ends up sucking is and that's I think the fault of a lot of these reboots now where they want to like dumb it down like the, like the Star Wars they have all those Star Wars Clone Wars shows on yeah. now and a lot of times you have to kind of like get into the animation because the animation may be a little more dumbed down because they want to have it appeal to like you know like the one that's on Disney now kind of looks Disney-ish or the one you know they want to bring in you know they have like young Jedis that are like 11 or yeah, 12 yeah. years old or you know or they even the t- the tiny teen titans you yeah, know yeah but i would totally i mean i would say you know tim burton obviously this wouldn't have happened with that without tim burton but this even more so, I think, takes Batman as a property more seriously than the Tim Burton movies do. So, it, as far as I could tell, outside of comic books, this is the first time like Gotham City and the world of Batman is taking with like really no kitsch factor, no playing with like the whams, yeah. pows, like really taking Batman to a really serious place, and then. Which paves the way for like the Nolan movies yeah, to yeah. do that. Um, the episodes specifically that we're going to talk about today are maybe some of the darkest ones. But the other important thing about this animated series is its impact on Batman as a character and the and and the comic book stories in themselves. One, this is uh, Paul Dini and Tim and Bruce Tim create. Uh, Harley Quinn, yeah, which is now like because of that that uh, Suicide Squad movie is now really big, but then they also end up creating backstories for characters that yeah didn't really have backstories. Paul Dooney or, or Paul, weren't really taken seriously, and now those backstories are kind of gospel. Canon, yeah, yeah. Paul Dini's brought on, like you said, he's a producer, but he also helps write the Bible. And what they end up having to do is they have to have they have all these great characters that are kind of a rose, rogues gallery, but then. They're kind of like B or C listers. So if you get past like the Catwoman, Joker, or Two, uh, not even Two Face, even like Robin, uh, Riddler, that were like on the '66 show. If you go look at say the only other uh, form they actually had was the '66 live action show. They're kind of silly. Like you take today's episode of Heart of Ice, yeah. Mister Freeze. Mister Freeze was either played by like Otto Preminger or um, uh, Eli Wallach, and I think even like a third person might have played him, which escapes me now. And there's not really any backstory, so they're like. We need to come up with backstories for these people so that they don't, they're not just like. Yeah. Uh, they need to be actual characters yeah, and not and just like, pl- you know, plot. So a lot of times. For the characters. They're like foils for. For the Batman episode. to just knock out and punch and just a means to an end. They're robbing a bank for whatever reason. So they kind of like do reverse kind of engineering where they yeah. kind of figure out why would the character be like this? What's the idea behind him? So the other big uh, thing that they were worried about was um, we talked about Alan Burnett. Um, uh, he he had worked at the time on uh, Tiny Toons. He was he was a uh, a dude on uh, Tiny Toons for a number of years, doing all kinds of um, stuff there. And uh, he was brought over. And uh, the other big elephant in the room was um, oh, Eric Rondumsky was on Tiny Toons. He was a char- He did character design, storyboards, background animation, painters there. And he was brought as a co-producer. Basically, the reason why the two of them, Rondumsky and Tim, were uh, picked by McCurdy was that they were young, ambitious. 
people and they were warriors they were very like they were very like um micromanaging they would you know they would worry about deadlines they wanted the attention to detail so like that's the perfect people to develop this series and um they, they she decided they'd be they'd be good producers which they ended up being and the other like i keep saying the big question was they didn't know if tim burton would come on and be an executive producer if warners would force them so for a while they were working on without knowing that and they didn't really want as much as they loved and respected Tim Burton, they didn't want him to come in and kind of have inject his Tim Burtonisms, which nothing to say that would have been bad, but they wanted it to be a separate entity from them. But they took a lot of elements from his show, but they didn't want him to come over and then have like an overall arcing executive producer where he'd come in and have, say, uh, you know, uh, final cut on anything or whatever and, and over override them. But in that gray area, when they didn't know what was going to happen, they ended up going on their own and, you know, writing, they, they turned out scripts, Bible, without even asking or getting approval from Warner Brothers, which was kind of unheard of because a lot of times back then, the idea was, you know, they, they wanted a big hand in the process. They wanted to be able to sign off on things. They wanted to be able to, to accept or deny uh, ideas, as, uh, aspects, and concepts that they agreed with or that they, they, they thought would be able to translate to a cartoon. And they didn't even do that. They just, they, because... Since they greenlit the show, the biggest problem was they had no time to actually have a development stage because they already had an air date in production schedule done. They knew they had to get done by a certain date. That was going to be their first air date of the show because they had to have it correspond with the Batman Returns movie kind of coming out. So they had no development phase. So the whole time while they were waiting in this limbo about finalization, they just started running yeah. and developing, like you're saying. They, like Bruce Tim ends up doing four or five different jobs. He ends up directing the Heart of Ice episode, kind of, because they didn't really have anyone else to do it. So they Everybody ends up wearing all these different hats on the show, and I think because of that, and their love for the properties, say Bruce Tim, who's being a huge fan of the old radio shows, of the old, say, uh, sci-fi, uh, even Shirley Walker, the old love of the old serials, this all culminates in this big stew that comes up being, like, amazing. Yeah. Pretty much catching, like, lightning in a bottle, kind of. Yeah. Like you're saying, you take like the idea of the dark noir yeah. of the show and uh, working on darkness and their idea behind like how are we going to do, say, Gotham City. And their angle on Gotham City is that like, you know, if you look at like the 1939 Batman and the Warner Brothers Tim Burton movie, what happens if that took a right turn and all the things that say the World's Fair in 1939 just took an alternate reality and, and everything just kind of stayed there and went into the 90s. So that's why you have this look of the curvy cars, the very 40s-esque things, but with modern technology. And their big stumbling block for Gotham is how are we going to freaking do backgrounds of Gotham or these, this big mammoth city and have it look good and have it be proper scale. So they do this thing that Disney's really famous for called pools of light technique where they, they fill certain things with a lot of detail and then they leave the mind of the imagination. So it actually looks vague. So really, there's not a lot of stuff there, but then they end up doing, you know, they let your mind fill in the gaps of detail on its own. And that's where they get a lot of, like, the background of how Gotham City looks and a lot of the stuff. So, like, a lot of, and you see this in a lot of the episodes that we're doing here where it's, like, a lot of, there's not a lot of detail there, but you think there is, you know? And that's how they kind of design Gotham City with the Anton First uh, kind of idea of film noir mixed with, because a lot of these episodes here we have are very film noir. Yeah. They're very, very into like the uh, the Dwarknar film noir aspect, which I don't think ever was done on a cartoon show as well. Definitely not on a whole. I mean, there might have been kind of homages to it, 
but I don't know about like to have a whole series kind of based around like these old Art Deco kind of architecture and this very dark, shadowy, and even uh, contextually or, or concept conceptually like dark material in such a way. Yeah. And one of the thi- you know, and we talk the fact that so many characters get fleshed out here, and then we see those like they said that becoming kind of like Bible or gospel for those characters, even in the comic books or in other stuff. It's just, it's an amazing thing that these guys were able to take this like afternoon cartoon show and pretty much like, in a make such a big dent in like the world of a character that had been around since Especially the 30s. They have, they have no time to develop it. And then have, you know, being able to put like a little more seriousness or, or maybe a little more, uh, you know, modern knowledge into things like this is the first time like two face, for instance, is given the, the idea of the two, maybe two face was dealing with issues before he became two face. And this just kind of put him over the edge, you know, getting into like psychology in a way that at least cartoons and maybe even television shows at that point hadn't gotten into. Um, and I will say that like Kevin Conroy's, portrayal of batman and bruce wayne is my favorite yeah. of all time you know at the end of kill bill uh david uh carradine gives this big speech about how superman you know you know superman is superman and clark kent is the disguise and that's the only superhero that really does that like the glasses are his disguise whereas superman is superman i like especially the way he's portrayed in the show you know Batman, the Batman, the quote-unquote Batman voice that everybody makes fun of for the Christian Bale movies and stuff, the Batman voice is Bruce Wayne's voice. Yeah. And the only time Bruce Wayne has a fake voice is when he's in public. Yeah, it's Bruce Wayne. That's his Bruce Wayne. He has a Bruce Wayne. Which they end up abandoning for some some reason. This is when my my, uh, expertise, because I think maybe because I went off to college, I kind of lose the show after the third or fourth season. And when I went to like, you know... It went on to like Batman and the Batman Beyond, and it went to Justice League. I never followed any of that. Yeah. Like Bruce Wayne, but in this case, like Batman is the character, and Bruce Wayne is his alt, like his fake alter ego, which I love about this show. And you're right. I mean, because it was the Batman, it was Batman the animated series for only uh, you know for uh, like for three years, and then they changed the title to Batman: The Adventures of Batman and Robin in '94 and '95. Um, of course, in 93, we have the ba- ba- uh, Mask of the Phantasm, which we talked about doing, but we decided to do this instead. Yeah. And then at some point... Which in is the, theatrical in, release, which into, is huge. Into the late 90s, then you have the new Batman Adventures, which is coinciding with the the uh, Superman, the animated series and stuff, which, I don't know, we had kind of gotten older, and like I said, we, we were getting ready to go off to college, so we both kind of lose touch with that. But in the very first season, some of the first episodes aired are to this day not only some of the best episodes of the series but some of the best television some of my favorite television episodes I don't even <laughs> in think all of television we've even said what we're doing we we um we said we're doing heart of ice which some people cite as not only one of the best episodes of the series but some people also put up there as one of the best batman stories ever told yeah along with like killing emmy. joke yeah and it and it wins an emmy and we're also doing uh the clayface two part of a feet of clay yeah part one and, and part two <laughs> now that we only have 10 minutes <laughs> yeah we have, we have 10 minutes left to, to, <laughs> of the show good night everybody we're doing we're doing them and um uh another 
like you're like you were saying is that they end up having to to to, to invent backstories for all these people, which ends up like Harley Quinn is, was never a character in the comics. They invented her for Joker on the show. She took off. The, she ended up getting her own property. Very copy. She got her own comic, and then she kept building up to the point where like Kevin Smith names his daughter Harley Quinn, and then even now, like you're saying, Suicide Squad, which she ended up doing in comic book form, ends up coming out, and she's so huge. And I find that so weird that you have like you know eight, seven or eight year olds dressing up not as Harley Quinn from the animated series, but yeah. the Harley Quinn from the freaking this horror ish looking girl from you know I guess that's a whole psychological thing psychological thing but it's all because of the Batman animated series and Mr. Freeze like um, Mr. Freeze's original ba- background is he appeared in uh, in first appeared in episode or issue 121 in February 1959 he was called Mr. Zero and he was just had a gun that was capable of emitting waves of frigid cold which would freeze people when they you know did it and then um uh, in March of 68, they kind of changed him a little bit and they gave him a, like a helmet and that, you know, his character was that he was cold, you know. And then in the 60s Batman series, you know, it was him that he was some kind of a cold thing ensued. Um, and then, you know, th- they ended up eventually getting the idea that he's he's terminally ill and then he has this whole issue that, you know, that wasn't at all a concept in the, in the cartoon that he was a... Uh, or not the cartoon, but the... Uh, 66 show that he yeah. was that he you know he was just he was called it was just silly but then they in, and they invent this back so what would be his you know he has no emotions so why would he have no emotions why would he have this super sh- suit why would he have this whole thing and well it, maybe it's because he since he doesn't have any emotions because he it had to be something that caused him to have all these emo you know that to be emotionless and it was this woman you know yeah and they, well yeah that's, that's the interesting thing is they come up with this idea okay cold frigid you know, let's have a character where, like, because of what's happened, he has no emotions. Yeah. But it turns out he's the most emotional of all. And they create this tragedy for him to have, a, have like, reasoning for revenge and stuff. And what's interesting to me about it is, like, you, you get, it's, he's really, maybe even more so than the Joker, he's, the way they've portrayed him in this is, like, he's more of the flip side to Bruce Wayne than most of the other characters. He's even which more. Is like he's taken tragedy and he's gone th- to the. He's gone down the dark alley with yeah. it. Whereas Bruce Wayne has he's dealt with tragedy by helping people instead of trying to hurt he's people. Compa- yeah, he's kind of compartmentalized it a little better. And and they take a little bit from you know someone that you love. They I know, take a I know. Bit of the Doctor Fives. Yeah, Doctor Fives. They the Tim uh, Bruce Tim cites like a lot of the old Boris Karloff B movies where he's a mad scientist. They talk about. Um, also the Vincent Price with Mr. Fives, that kind of idea. And um, well, what's amazing is then this becomes the backstory for him for like, you know, Schwarzenegger's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then, and then now the key, it's canon. Yeah. And now in Gotham, you know, they portrayed him in last season in Gotham this way, like this story of Nora and that he's trying to save his wife from who's terminally ill by freezing her until he can come out with a cure. That becomes canon now yeah. for this character, which was invented for this episode, Heart of Ice, which uh, aired s- September 7th, 1992, episode 14. But when you look at that's that. That's what I don't understand because I, I know for the fact because I taped all the fucking things. Sunday night, they did a premiere in like the hour where they had The Simpsons and Married with Children. They put the, it was uh, on leather wings. That yeah. was the pilot, so, so to speak. And that's one that they cited being as like, uh, it was almost too dark. They said they, they it was 
dark as not in the sense of dark the material it was visually so dark that they actually had like the FCC evidently has rules about how much black you can have on a screen maybe for yeah. cartoons and stuff like that so they were they they they, they got away with just like the, the just amount of darkness they're legally able to show which I still don't really understand and I remember they had at the end of the episode you see him bleed a little bit that's which was unheard only, of that's the only time you, you know see him and that was prime time you know and you also had there a lot of the uh, the voice talent that you'd see come up on the show which we could talk about the voice talent Richard Mole shows up there and I forget who plays the um, the darn uh, the scientist but you have Tim Matheson shows up on in Leather Wings who prior to this cast we we're just talking about who's an actor who voiced Johnny Quest as a child in the J- Johnny Quest series so you're already there you're already like oh wow they're starting to, they're using people you don't really think of out of the box yeah. and then the next mo- day that was Sunday night Monday started the run of Batman's that was Mr. Freeze was the first episode they showed yeah. and right out of the bat that and then Tuesday, Wednesday is the Clayface two-parter for yeah, the Clay yeah. and those, that's right out of the gate and like you said they say Mr. Freeze is episode 14 so I wonder if that's just in the order of them animating and, and it, producing yeah. because and getting it done the Clayface Feet of Clay which is also we got Heart of Ice and Feet of Clay um those are episodes 20 and 21 yeah but they ended up airing like you said right after now um we, like, we have to get going because we don't get too much in the weeds, but I think there's one last thing that I'm going to quickly just run right through, and this is the animation in these episodes. Now, for me, for in, in the Feet of Clay, especially Part 2, and the Heart of Ice episodes, there's this amazing animation that's done, and there's this, there was this Japanese company they, they hired out called TMS, a TMS Animation Company, and they started outsourcing these things. And the first TMS, they wanted to do all the shows. And they came back with, Feet, with, with Heart of Ice and Feet of Clay, the ep- episode two. And they realized that they didn't do episode one. And that's when they realized, shit, we can't have two-parters done by two different animation companies. Yeah. So they started outsourcing. And they end up using uh, companies like Jade, Sunrise, Blue Pencil, Acom, Dong Young and Spectrum, the uh, evidently seven companies, but they start realizing that these overseas companies, they they kind of show you good work, but then once they start getting into the show and doing it, it starts going from their A level teams, it goes to their B level teams, the C level teams, and they start getting these problems that they start realizing. Like some sometimes uh, they have to send back stuff because it's not right. Some companies they don't wipe the the, the paper before they photograph it, so you have all this dust on the lens. They start having all these different problems that that are really bad, but they love this TMS. But TMS really was there because they really wanted to work with Steven Spielberg because they were doing Tiny Toons. And they end up doing the show, but they end up, what happens is it's too much money for what they're doing and the, the, the work they're putting in. So they end up dropping out and leaving and they end up going to do Animaniacs with Steven Spielberg because they want to work with Spielberg. But this TMS that does this animation in these episodes, it's mind-blowing because when I said to you we're watching these, even as a kid, I remember like the, this animation is like amazing. To me, it looked like the, this was the exhibition stuff. Yeah. And they said that um, they had... Uh, they submitted to Warner Brothers Feet of Clay Part 2 and because of that Warner came back and said we want you to redo the opening because we don't think it's good enough so because of that they, had, they sent a TMS and they had TMS do the opening of the show uh, that we know now by that little short yeah. which is interesting because it's one of the only shows especially cartoons I can think of that you never see the titles there's no the title show. it just has the Warner Brother logo which they thought was great because they wanted to bring it back to the 39 era of having that Warner Brother look and they thought they would sell it come down it never and says Batman the Animated Series you never really see them there's, epi- there's parts where it's all done in harsh shadows uh, very 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 film noir like you know 
the, the, there's elements of like, you know, he jumps at one guy, he just rolls over him, the guy's out, you don't even know what he does, yeah. he has a little boomerang, you know, very little, just the eye look, and it's just, it's utterly amazing, and that's yeah. almost like the short film, that's like a, that's like really like their, 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 what do you call that, sizzle reel? Yeah, yeah. That's what you just showed everybody, this is what the show's gonna be, yeah. and it's like you could sell it. But, like I said, they had all these different companies, they ended up having problems with each one, and they realized some weren't up to par for the show, and then some one were cutting corners, and they were, those people were sending outsourcing it to subsidiaries, so you start having a uh, a problem with the uh, with the time here, and um, so this TMS who did these episodes, I think it looks amazing. Like part two of Feet of Clay, like they talk about especially that sequence where um, Daggett is walking along with the guy Germs, and they walk into the factory. And they're going over the blue, the green vats. They said there's stuff in there that they never even asked for. That TMS would yeah. just do extra stuff. Well, they did that with, with Freeze too. Like they just wanted like a white outline to, to for the dome. Yeah, and they went through and airbrushed every single frame so that you see that like that little bit of a frosted glass around his head. And then, I mean, the probably one of the most beautiful pieces of animation maybe in the whole series is the at the end of the of a feet of clay where he's fucking spinning out of where Clayface is spinning out of control and morphing into all these other characters that he's seen. I mean, it is absolutely stunning. To yeah. Look at. Well, that's what they said. This, this, the, that they think the co owner or CEO of, of TMS actually did all that individual airbrushing on the, uh, for, for his, yeah. for his dome on, um, for freeze, for freeze. And then at the end of the feet of clay part two, it was so amazing that they couldn't even, it's mind boggling how they did all those effects. Like it's very anime that I think that sequence yeah. there, it looks very anime to me because they were to go on to do anime, but that scene with the vat, that green light, they said it looks so amazing. It looks like it was rotoscoped how the, the animation, the movement yeah. and that they had to, and this was behind before the time of real, like doing com- computer stuff. So they said that that was all color blending. They actually took, that's them taking colors and just mixing colors together to get like blending shadows on that sequence or the green on everything. And that's nothing they asked for. But this show, but so if they were able to say keep TMS to do this animation, it would have been unbelievable. But they also cite too, like a real good example of, of good animation is car movement. And especially like in, in the beginning of Heart of Ice with the whole car sequence of them driving, like with the, with the big truck, which I forget, it looks like an AMC truck that I forgot to look at the name of. But it's like that is a testament to how good it is. Or even at the beginning of, I think it's maybe um, Heart of Ice, maybe part, oh, it's part one. Is it part two when Bruce gets out of jail and he gets he rushes down past reporters and he gets in his yeah, limo? part two of Feet of Clay. Yeah. And the limo takes off. Even that little business of like the, the back end of the limo just hitting the floor a little before it takes off it's just it's it really makes you have a sense of the the heaviness of these these vehicles yeah. and it's just so awesome that this this animation would you know would do stuff like that you had michael and sarah yeah the great character actor doing uh mr freeze yeah uh who we kind of hinted at earlier in the episode with the i was talking about his klingon shirt he played kang in yeah. the original series which was uh, the head of the klingons in a very uh, famous episode of the original series but then reprises kang in two other star trek series yeah you know with the the stuff on his head with the since which the is klingons back in these people i don't know they didn't even have that and i remember and i wonder if i mean i guess maybe they cast him afterwards but you know the show opens with Revenge is a dish best served cold. Yeah. Which obviously there's been plays on that throughout literary history, that sentiment. But that line exactly is from uh, 
Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And then the Kill Bill movies open with like ancient Klingon proverb. And I wonder if that was they knew they were going to cast him, and it's a kind of an homage to Klingons. I don't know. Um, I mean, it, that could be very something. I mean, that little homage, that little opening there, which is like like you know five or six seconds long is something they could have just put in once they knew they had him cast. And then, you know? of course, I, I don't know if anybody else picks on all this, but for me watching it this time, there's like, aside from that Mark Hamill plays the the uh, Ferris Boyle character, Yeah, there's like some homages to Empire Strikes Back. You got the, when he Batman saves the, the one crook who's got his legs frozen, puts him in that bath. Oh, yeah, like the same thing that when he's in that, Luke, you know, the for, Luke's for the frostbite. from Hoth. And then when when Luke is captured by the uh, like the abominable snowman thing on Hoth, yeah. he's hung upside down with his feet frozen into the top of the cave, which Batman is is trapped the same way. Do you think sense, that's so? actual like like uh, like digs at or not digs, but like actual references to? Uh, I don't know if uh, maybe subconsciously because of uh, <laughs> they had Mark Hamill in that episode. I don't know. It seems like a weird coincidence that there's this like these little visual nods to Empire Strikes Back, and that they have. Uh, Mark Hamill playing this character. Um, just a brilliant, beautifully written episode. So tragic, so dark to think of for a child, like a child's cartoon. Well, show. it certainly keeps your um, your your uh, your uh, interest. And they said that some of these wrote themselves because it's just it was so good. The the writing these these. Uh, well, there's the thing that's amazing is that there's nothing about this episode or the other episode for, uh, that we're talking about, Feet of Clay, for instance. That is that is childish or or immature. It they're all like it is adult storytelling, in a visual medium that is thought of as being uh, childish. Yeah. Um. There's v- you know there's very little humor, just a l- you know little bit. Um. There's nothing really goofy about it. It's uh, just beautiful stories. I mean, just lines where like, you know, Batman watches the surveillance footage of of. You know the accident that happens in the lab, which is funny because I heard you know, and you talk. They have a director's commentary for the Mister Freeze episode. They talk about how I was thinking like there's so many angles <laughs> yeah, on yeah. his like CC, CCTV <laughs> of of that, but it's it's so it's so tragic and it's actually like terrifying. Now, like you know, like that that's you have this big reason why he's turned the way yeah. he's turned because of this. But then like Batman, like my God, yeah, and <laughs> then and then freezes behind him and freezes, yes. It would move me to tears if I still had tears to shed. Yeah, it's great. It's such a great line. You know, and uh, Tim talks about that. But he, we find out later in the episode, he still, he does have tears. He to can shed. shed tears. And that was the thing at the end of the episode. They want, he had an idea that he wanted to try to make these tears. Uh, that was the idea for the entire episode. He said, the end, he wrote it backwards. Him st- stuck in this cold cell that they've kind of like made for for him to be in and that he's sitting there and he's crying tears that turn into snowflakes and they said it's not like they didn't want to do that they just couldn't figure out how to logistically show that on camera for that to work yeah. so they, they kind of scrapped that but that was the idea of him and that's I think in the episode at the end you see he cries and they freeze right I, they, I don't. They don't move past a certain point. But oh, I, don't know I thought if they it's were maybe freezing. That they become ice. you know because they're, they're, it's so cold uh, and they they said they had issues when they 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 were looking for a lot of people, a wish list of people to cast, and they cast Michael Inseera, and uh, he wasn't their first pick because he had been a very dramatic person, like you said. He's done a lot of westerns and stuff like that. And when he came in to read, uh, he, the whole thing with doing the voiceover work is that they weren't hiring 
voice actors per se they were hiring people who were characters and that's a big almost like the 66 batman has all these different people who come in and do things they had people who come in to do things because they were looking at people who had characteristic voices that people would recognize or they, they were real actors so they can give this performance they wanted so with him when he comes in he was kind of be dramatic and like no we want you more flack because bruce tim was specifically citing an old episode of the outer limits that he that he liked where these aliens actually had this kind of voice that he was looking for and uh, it was just like metallic it was called nightmare the episode for all those outer limits fans so he went for the sound editing and he kept saying to michael Sarah, no we want you to play it more flat more flat and to the point where then when they add that robotic tinny voice and i think it works amazingly his voice how and that for me before i knew who that was that was one of the most memorable things in the episode of how he sounded yeah. his his cadence his delivery of lines and how it, it, it i think that's brilliant and even to the point where at the end when they knock it break his glass and he kind of falls and they, they, they have that more metallic sound of as he's like you know this shit's breaking I think that's amazing and that's what stayed with me for like 20 years you know of yeah, that yeah. and it just goes to show like the next thing for me uh, years watching uh, remembering Feet of Clay the Clayface episode I always said like whoever did Clayface was awesome and I always still remember that performance and then I watched it I don't know five or ten years ago and I feel, finally realized it's fucking Ron Perlman. Yeah, that's yeah. the reason why it's such a good <laughs> performance because it's Ron because it's so tragic that you know the, his 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 also his character in his, the, what he what happens with him. Yeah, well, we ended up picking these two episodes. It was like there are they're so similar in a way because there are like these people that are. Tragic figures, and I don't think that was even a conscious decision. No, we just picked it because we were like be they were like two, highlights of. There had to be one Clayface, the Clayface two-parters, both of our favorite episodes of the. Yeah, and of for me, personal episodes. It's part two of that. I mean, yeah. the first one is good, you but the, the second one, up, but yeah, and then you know, Heart of Ice, we kind of picked because it's such an iconic episode, and it is. A, I mean, it is a great episode. I mean, rightfully so that a lot of people consider it the best single episode of the show. Yeah. Um, but then when we started to actually watch them and get into it, it was like, you know, we picked. Yeah, I remember A Heart of Ice being a two-parter for some reason. Yeah, me too. And then and when then you were, you're like, it's not a two-parter. I was like, yeah, you're right. It isn't a two-parter. But hell, we'll just do it anyway. We'll just but the Clayface episode always uh, It's just so a particular I, I don't know, even know why. From the opening, just over the title card, uh, Shirley Walker's music right there yeah. is so like Herman Hitchcock. Yeah. Bernard Herman-esque. Uh, the stuff that he did for some of the Hitchcock movies, obviously not the Psycho or, or stuff like that, but some of the other stuff like Vertigo or, or North by Northwest. Um, watching it now as an adult, you know, really seeing it as being a story about addiction yeah. more than anything else uh, is very interesting to, to have that kind of take on it. Um even like everybody's, they're so fleshed out well. Even those three henchmen that are Daggett's henchmen. Um, germs. And- yeah, Roland Daggett. Yeah, um, Germs and uh, the other guy, Bell, who, who listens. I love, I mean, there's even the little business. Like Germs has, of, of course, has problems with Germs. He, to me, sounds so much like Jonathan Harris, Mr. Smith from um, Lost in Space. And it's he's voiced by Egg Bagley Jr. Yeah. And it's like, that's fucking awesome. Egg, you know, you have Egg, Egg Bagley Jr. coming in doing like a character role. You have... Um, Roland Dagen himself is voiced by the um, Ed Asner, right? iconic Ed Asner, who people would go on and see, you know, doing as, and he's in, uh, what is that movie, Big? No, what's the, uh, Up. 
He's he's the voice yeah. of the old man, but and he up. was also the voice. Uh, I think he's the voice of J. Jonah Jameson in the '90s Spider-Man animated series. Yeah, I think you're right too. And it's like he's great, and, and you have all these just bit roles. And those henchmen to me are almost like very out of RoboCop. Like yeah, RoboCop's yeah. bad guys. You have Clarence Bodiger and all his little guys all had great, unique personalities. And you're able to translate yeah. in a cartoon these three guys well, who have these great personalities. Is, you know, we were talking about you were talking a little bit about how. Uh, you know they weren't sure if Burton was going to come in, uh, come in, uh, come on as an executive producer. Where um, I heard that they originally wanted the Daggett part to be Max Shrek, which would be Christopher Walken's character from uh, Batman, Batman Returns. Returns. Yeah. So it's going to be like a little bit of a tie-in of the businessman who's kind of corrupt and insider and so. trading, which is hilarious because <laughs> that's now again a, a big thing in the past. Yeah, economic you know recession and. Uh, and apparently Tim Burton didn't like that idea, so then they changed it. Oh, he nixed it? That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. So they named it. Even you have Lucius Fox who shows up. That's Brock that's, Peters. That's, and that's the first, but that's the first appearance of Lucius Fox in the show. Yeah. Um, another big, great uh, African-American character actor, Brock Peters, plays him. So you have almost everybody in that episode is filled out by, like, pretty high-grade, yeah. like, you know, uh, character actors. And, the, and then, like we said, we have, um, what's his name? Um... Uh, Ron Perlman playing, really giving his heart out. You know, he's a, he's a he's an actor to me that r- reminded me very much like a Cary Grant or like a Lon Chaney Senior. Yeah, yeah. And he works at this place called Imperial Pictures, and he's like a great character actor. And then he had this accident, you know, that it's messed up his face. And then the Daggett Company approaches him with this experimental stuff. And he Clayface is a guy who his thing was never really. Um, uh, fleshed out either he yeah. appeared well, in June it? 1940 well what's interesting about the Clayface character is that there's actually been several different Clayfaces yeah. the history of Batman and what they decided to do for this for the for the animated series is they kind of combined the first two Clayfaces yeah Matt Hagen was a fortune hunter who found like an underground pool that he would dip in the pool, p- protoplasm but that messed him up the second guy the, the first uh, Clayface is created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane who we, we talk extensively about in the Batman, uh, 1989 Batman podcast. And his uh, name was Basil Carlo, who was a B-movie actor who began his life of crime using the identity of a villain he portrayed in a horror film. Uh, this, was, this is the way Clayface was portrayed in the 40s. And uh, Bob Kane has gone on to say that initially he, the character was inspired by Lon Chaney Sr., um, who obviously played Phantom of the Opera, and then the name was taken a little bit from Boris Karloff, the Carlo and the Basil Rathbone for the for the Basil. Uh, so basically, they took this idea of kind of this actor for for the Batman animated series Clayface, and they kind of uh, combined it with the name of the second Clayface, which was created by Bill Finger and, and uh, Sheldon Moldoff, who Sheldon Moldoff was a great artist who drew a lot of those early Batman stuff. People are kind of mistakenly think that. Bob Kane drew all those early Batman issues, and he may have draw, uh, drawn some of the covers, but for the most part, uh, Sh- Shelley Moldoff was the guy who drew a lot of those. So in the late 50s, Finger and, and Moldoff create the Matt Hagen uh, Clayface, which you were just talking about. So what they ended up doing is they kind of take the idea of the Basil Carlo Clayface, this actor, they gave him the Matt Hagen name because... Matt Hagen was Clayface for the most amount of time. Matt Hagen was the character of Clayface for several decades into the 70s. Um, but then they give the idea of this actor, and then they kind of give him a whole new backstory with an accident that scars his face and the, this this clay substance that ends up... Uh, he becomes addicted to 
he's in pain when it kind of wears off, but he uses this substance to remold his face and he can make it look anything like anything he wants. And he ends up using that in his career as an actor. And then as we find out, uh, he gets a little bit of an overdose of it, but then they end up in the comic books. They end up taking the bars, the, the Basil Carlo character, make him Clayface again in the comic book. And, more recent years after the animated series, but give him the backstory of the Matt Hagen uh, Clayface from the show. So it's, this is another example where kind of the show influences how the comic books end up, you know, b- becomes kind of, uh, we said, canon for, for the background stories for the comic book characters as well. Um, a, fa- a great episode. Um, like you said, the first part, you just kind of need to watch the first part so that you can get to the second part, unfortunately. Yeah. This is the one instance where I will say, uh, writing-wise, there's a lot of exposition between uh, Matt Hagen and his buddy and the stuff. I feel really bad for that guy. Yeah. He's really trying as, as hard as he can. Like, hey, buddy, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I want to. And then it's so, because he treats him like such an asshole. And maybe because it's the addiction. It's like, that's, well, yeah, you know, that's, that, the, real, that's the, 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 the reality the of it. The idea of the addiction thing is, is something that I don't even know really occurred to me when I watched it back in no, 1992. No, it, it didn't occur to me at all. Um, but there's a lot of exposition that he has to give uh, in the beginning of Clayface Part 2, I feel like, in the when they're in the um, trailer. He's like, well, you can you did it before, you could do it again. Yeah, well, you need that. You yeah, had yeah. some of your best roles. You know, there's a lot of clunky, clunkily written kind of exposition yeah. right there. Exposition. But it doesn't it doesn't bother me because it's like you know that's that's what kids need to learn about exposition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's like the only time where like I, I was watching it. I'd be like, this is a little bit clunky. Yeah, you know, feels it's feeling a little bit more like a afternoon cartoon show than the rest of this episode feels, and the way that Heart of Ice feels. Um, I still this day like when they're having like the talk show and the woman's ask talking to Daggett and then the oh, that whole sequence? the heavy woman comes yeah, yeah, up yeah. and she's asking well, why don't you tell him about this and why don't you try with the addictive qualities and what happened? why don't you tell him <laughs> like to the day it's horrifying yeah 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 it's and that's scary. that's Summer Gleason isn't she's like doing a show oh yeah you yeah. know that's her her little hot piece of ass yeah, yeah that clown <laughs> bless that Summer Gleason um, that whole sequence there it just again with that uh, TMS the attention to detail like even Daggett's like bodyguards I love how they're so new war with like the the shoe uh they have the shoe covers and it's just so the attention to detail in that whole end sequence in this tv studio to me like you said is terrifying where she sneaks in i mean it's really quick the funny where he's having problems where he fights batman he's like i can't control it you know and then he's able to get away but then the next sequence he has the idea like to to sneak into the hospital to get germs and uh that whole sequence is is great too that germs has this whole i have to go to the hospital you know and he's, yeah. he goes to the hospital and it's it just it's such good writing um, and then, you know, uh, Andrew Romano, I think we should talk about her, the casting director, who just casted all these amazing, the yeah. whole show ends up having, like we've been saying, this amazing then, voice work. Yeah, it's a weird thing because, like, the director, and for instance, the director in animation doesn't necessarily sit there with the actors. They, they're really in charge of the visual aspects of it, the getting the animation done, how it's going to look, and all that stuff. And then you have someone like a voice producer like Andrew Romano, who, in this case, she did the casting, but then I believe she was, she was also, like, the director of the talent in the voice... In yeah. the voicing section, uh, yeah. sessions. Giving them notes. And so, I mean, she's kind of like a, I think in recent years, she's become a little bit more of a uh, recognized. And she passed but, away. But for the long time, she was an unsung hero for, of, of that show. Well, it helped. She was a actor 
and then she turned into an acting coach. So a lot of the time when she became this casting director, she called up her old friends like Adrian Barbeau, who shows up as Catwoman in the series, was one of her acting students. Yeah. So she started cold calling people. Hey, you want to be on Batman? And you know, and also she'd use a device. You want to be on Batman? We're going to have uh, David Warner be on. And you know, so they were yeah, like, yeah. cool. Paul Williams shows up. You know, like all these yeah. great John Glover, all these great amazing freaking. Well, characters. Even Conroy was just he wasn't a voice actor. Uh, he was just he was like a Juilliard actor i mean he was in class i think he was even in like you know chris uh christopher reeves class and and uh robin williams class and he was just an actor in new york city and there was this call and he decided to go in for it and uh they looked at everybody for batman but then he walked in and just kind of nailed it yeah now he's they, they auditioned like 75 different people and now he's like the batman for our generation and for continued now it's like when you watch an animated batman movie and it's not him well, yeah that peter weller thing <laughs> as much as i love peter weller that kind of screwed me up it's like it's not kevin Conroy. you know i also you know watching these but is that wrong though to, to think that he should stay with the it's like having michael keaton's not in the new nolan movies should i be upset about that because he's my favorite batman i don't know i don't know you i know? mean you know there's a difference between television i think and and movies like he was on our we heard his voice as batman every afternoon for a, a, lo- a large chunk of our childhood yeah so i mean it is kind of weird it's it's like it's a, you know it's like not having uh shatner play you know it's a little weird having someone play kirk but not be shatner yeah you know, yeah it'd it's be, uh it's odd you know but uh, you know wh- what's also fitting about us doing this as a saturday night movie sleepover thing and, and we didn't really get as much into maybe the actual stories um but they're, I mean, they're tragic. But one thing that I think is there was a long period of time where Marvel was trying to do it too, where, where they were dishing out feature length, straight to video animated movies. Uh, and the DC ones for a long time were really great. And those became, uh, you know, in the 2000s after we had graduated and uh, Dion and I didn't get to see each other that often, those became reasons for us to get together and have a sleepover. <laughs> and hang out and there was a long period of time where you and I would get together and watch whatever the new like DC animated feature yeah. was we kind of ended up liking them better than the Marvel because they were a little more yeah, ballsy yeah the one, with, for the one with the Justice League I forget what it's called it's yeah. like kind of the origin of and it was starting World War 2 that one yeah, yeah that was great kind of retro and it's kind of it's the beginning of it is like the to origin fight, of the Green Lantern to fight Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> and all that kind of thing <laughs> that, one, that one was awesome yeah, but yeah. there was there, and we watched like the Doomsday Superman one together so we watched the first Avengers one the, the original first Avengers and you know yeah. they, they, they were trying to do it but DC for some reason, the had DC a better handle on it. I mean, we watched you know? a lot of the DC ones together. But I wonder why... And so this was kind of like, in a way, it was kind of fitting because the uh, as an adult, you know, getting together with a friend you haven't seen for a while and I would come over to your place and or even to your parents' place uh, and just kind of hang out and we would watch these things together. And, they, and, it, and that all stemmed from this mutual love for the animated series. And then, of course, the animated series went on to became you know the superman animated series became out of the success of the batman show and then the 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 justice league of america had a tv show uh you know we're still living with like the ripples that the pebble of the batman animated series i'm I'm kind of a purist where i like after those first three seasons when they kind of dropped the animated series name and they kind of brought robin in i'm i never was a such a big fan of robin on the show me either you know i mean like he comes i will say though that uh yeah, I totally agree. I will say that in the new Batman, the new Batman Adventures, which is like the last box set, 
so they're trying to make it Batman the Animated Series, but it really wasn't Batman of the Animated Series anymore. The animation had changed a little bit. They went from having, you know, Joker's eyes became just like two dots and stuff. Yeah, there are that. there are some decent episodes in that. Uh, one of which was also written by Paul Dini called Over the Edge. And uh, if you gave up on the series after the time that Deanne and I kind of stopped watching it as well. Because I have all four of the box sets, I've kind of dabbled with that last box set. There's a great one where it's kind of like a Rashomon type thing where they're telling stories about, oh, I saw Batman do this and I saw Batman do that. And you're getting like one story is the Bob Kane version of Batman. Yeah. And then the next story is you know the Frank Miller version oh, of Batman. Wow. It's animation wise yeah, and yeah. tonally. So that's a very cool episode. And then there's this episode of Over the Edge. Uh, that's pretty intense. Um, it deals with Bane and it deals with uh, Batgirl getting killed and Gordon blaming Batman for it yeah. and showing up at the Batcave. That's the one you always tout. You like the, the what is it, the, the Batman Beyond movie, the Joker Batman one? Batman Beyond, the, <laughs> the, the Return of the Joker, yeah. whatever that one's called. That's pretty intense, too. That gets really And then dark. that other one, that, that, uh, that Over the, the edge. edge is good. Um, outside of the Batman the Animated Series, those are two things. If you like Batman the Animated Series, those are definitely two things that are worth checking out if you have the time. Why do you think these have sustained, then? Like these, I mean, the first, this first two or three seasons before they kind of went another way and you know i guess after these 65 episodes i wonder if they ch- is that when they changed and made it batman and robin or they kind of you yeah, know, they, know he dropped the bruce wayne he just kept doing the batman voice all the time yeah well even the robin changed you know originally in the series the animated series robin was just looked like everybody else and yeah. then eventually it's like robin became more of a cartoony shorter character and so i wonder if they were giving into those kind of like uh, pressures of having it more identifiable or making him more look like a kid with zany hair. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh, but these here are just so like, especially the Heart of I Ice. Think the, I think the reason why they have lasting power is because they're just well-told stories. They're about as well... They're told as well as I think one can tell it in this medium for, a, for an afternoon children's programming i mean like you said these are what like we were saying before these are not kid stories yeah these are taken 100 percent seriously you can sit down with these as an adult and watch them and appreciate them there's nothing goofy childish about them it's just a well-told story and ultimately that's always going to be what kind of has longevity you know we've talked about um you know, movies aren't as good as they used to be, or the classics were so good. Well, you know what? There was like a million, you know, several classics came out every year. Several movies came out every year during the studio system. We only remember the good ones. Yeah. There was as many clunkers, if not more clunkers, than there are today. Yeah. <laughs> but the ones that last, the ones that we remember, are the ones that were great. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Batman the Animated Series made such an impact on Batman as a character and all versions of Batman that came out after. Like there like we said, there's Gotham on right now is taking the Mr. Freeze background uh from last season and that's his that's his background in that show. Now twenty years later or whatever, more. It's just uh like you said, with it was just this weird. They caught lightning in a bottle. It was a perfect storm of every of the talent, you know, animation, con- concept. Everything came together just perfectly. And yeah, sure, like any show, there are episodes that aren't great. 
you can't have 65 episodes and have every single one knock it out of the park. Yeah. It's just statistically impossible. But the ones that are great are really great. And it might be the first time a show, like you were saying, you know, you were kind of talking about with Thunder. It might be the first time, like, a children's, a show geared towards children, especially for after school afternoons, was this dramatic. Yeah. This serious. This dark. I mean, as so many, uh, there's, I mean, there are so many great episodes that we're not even talking about. Um, maybe for another episode, Mask of the Phantasm uh, was was a great theatrical movie, which was originally going to be a TV movie, and then they were like, you know what, this is too good. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like let's, let's, let's release. It. I find it that the hardest thing is that they were saying they wanted these to be mini movies. Is that the the think of like going back to the in weeks past we keep talking about radio plays. That was a device they said to the actors. I think of it as a radio play more as you're doing a performance on a cartoon. Don't even yeah. Don't even think about cartoons. you know. Don't we want to stay away from as much as cartoony sounds and whatever is possible look at it more as a performance in a play or a radio play that how hard it is to write stuff like this in i bring up radio play because a radio play what we listen to is like a half hour so how good is it to write a 20 minute episode that has you know three three acts or these plot points like the mr freeze episode that's only you know the the clay face one is a two-parter so that's 45 46 minutes but the 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 heart of ice is only twenty twenty two minutes, yeah. well, and it's, it's two, amazing it's to like think a two that reeler, you know, in yeah. a way, it's kind of interesting that the there's it no, it's all bare bones. That it's it was nothing. so influenced by the Max Fleischer stuff, which were pre feature length, pre feature movies, you know, shorts, yeah, in the theater, um, because these are little short movies, yeah, more so than a lot of other even live action films they really uh television shows i mean they really kind of nailed it and i wonder i'm not versed with it but i wonder as it went on if that's the reason why it kind of started they couldn't do that forever yeah. and then because of the pressures that be that kind of made them start to to go out and use other animating companies sure. or other I'm people sure left budget. you know or they they dumbed it down or they said let's take what's working here and expand on that or let's try to make it more uh, well, yeah. accessible to young kids probably a bit of that probably budgetary reasons you know they probably were like well you can you've been doing it for this much money can you do it for this much money yeah and that's why they had you know some of the animation starts to change also like they said they started doing like the superman batman hour or whatever yeah. which i think that ended up being on saturday mornings and maybe doing a saturday morning cartoon had different restrictions or you know different attributes that they had to hit for maybe a more childish audience than they were doing on that weekday afternoons. I don't know. Uh, but they got away with so much stuff. Realistic-looking guns. Yeah. Blood in that first episode with the with the man bat. They uh, point the Mr. Freeze gun at the camera, which was a big no-no for the FCC, but they got around it because it was a freeze with, gun. <laughs> they got around with him saying, my God, in that episode. Where it's, oh, know, yeah, my know, God. They're <laughs> not allowed to have any kind of religious uh, you know, mentions or anything in a... In a children's programming, they they slipped a lot by yeah. uh, censors, and I think that's another reason why it. They were willing to push the envelope to see how far they could go. I wonder, and they ended up getting away with a lot. And it's another reason why, in a way, it's kind of ahead of its time. And why another reason why I think it lasts so long. I wonder if it was because they just started going on their own and they weren't getting approval by they weren't getting story approval by Warner or whatever. They just went, and that's the reason why a lot of that stuff got slipped by because Warner, you know, if Warner has a list of things you can't do, yeah, and they're not checking them off because they're not 
looking at the stuff, then that's the reason why. You know, they're not swearing or having overt, yeah, yeah. but the women are very sexy looking, or you know, the uh, certain sexuality, or even just how the people look, or you know, it's all very stylized, but. There are things in there, like you're saying, God references, or like, you know, yeah. realistic guns. Or they're shooting, they have Thompson shooting bullets with, you know, with uh, cartridges well, falling out of the ground. Well, shot. Doesn't, like, Commissioner Gordon get shot in one of the early episodes? Yeah, may- maybe, you know. I don't, you I don't, know, G.I. Joe, nobody ever gets hit by There's always that lasers. parachute that comes in. That's the thing is, they're just shooting red and blue Gordon, lasers. I think Gordon gets shot in one of the early episodes and is, like, hospitalized. You know, it's... Uh, and it's uh, it's odd to think that they were you know the only other show I used to think of as a child they had Rambo in the late eighties that cartoon version they shot real weapons like yeah, they had yeah. M sixties and they had M sixteens and then you'd see like the bullets coming out on the side like the cartridges the spent casings but that was another thing what I used to love that like the Thompson sounded like Thompsons on Batman you know you saw the shell casings come out you know you see them reloading you hear the realistic clicks. As a, although it was exaggerated, they kind of looked like real cars from the 40s. They had real yeah. guns. And that's the attention to detail there were like the background stuff where you have the Gotham City. It looks more detailed than it actually is. That's amazing. That's a big trick, a full trickery of that. Yeah, you know, yeah. you think there's more there than you actually see. Oh, I mean, there's, and yeah, I mean, you know? it's beautifully animated. Even like there's a rack of one of those, one of the in Mr. Freeze episode in the Heart of Ice, there's a rack of focus from like the gun to Mr. Freeze or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, technology that, you know, Abai Works invented decades before, but it gives it a sense of realism, you know, like uh, that. that's, that they need a piece of equipment to do that because the animation doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, that's a little extra care that they put into it to make it more cinematic. Yeah. I wonder if it's them or if it's that animation company, TMS, yeah. doing all that extra, you know, but all those extra goodies are the things I remember. Again, these these episodes were the ones that I thought stand out just by how they looked, like the animation and, the, and just the yeah, people. Yeah. Like, they're just, it is lightning in a bottle, the performances. And it's 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 mind-blowing. You can actually parallel the two where, like, you think of all the... The big thing about the 66 show was that all the famous people that would guest on it. And then here you have just as many famous people showing up, playing yeah, totally. themselves or, you know, I mean, you have Michael DeBarris, who we said did the song at the end of Commando, he, you know, he, who's Murdoch on MacGyver. He shows up as Notre Dame and Paul yeah. Williams shows up as Penguin. And you have all these people, Richard uh, Mole from um, Night Court shows up as Harvey Dent Two-Face yeah, and yeah. doing other incidental and, you know, freaking all these well, people. Well, we've been talking, you know, it's come up a couple of times with the episode with the androids and how the guy that plays the character, like the, Blade Runner, <laughs> the, the, the maker in Blade Runner yeah. plays that kind of, that oh, same character, homage, you know? kind of character. And, you know, it is, it's paying homage and it's, I mean, it's all pulling these, from stuff that's very adult. Roddy McDonald, David Warner, Melissa Gilbert, even just Adrian Barbeau, all these people that just show up to do. And then, it's great when you're a kid and you're knowledgeable to recognize people. Hey, that's so and so. That's you know, and and uh, and then the kids who don't, the kids who just learn about it and they just love it for. And that's a great way to present it that you don't want to have it be. You're not getting like typical Frank Welkers to do what you're getting actual actors to lend themselves sure, yeah. to characters. I mean, it sticks for like the voice the voice actor. Yeah, but I'm sure they had enough there. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they had enough background to do stuff or they were getting, you know, but it's, they weren't getting maybe principles, but it's it's definitely a, a testament to why it was so successful and that they were looking like, at you know, it that you know, way. This is probably the the one generation younger than us. This is their Batman. Yeah. You know, like we were old enough to have reruns of the 66 show and then we were old enough we were at the perfect age for batman 89 to come out and then batman returns but then there's one generation below us where like this is their fucking batman yeah and that's you know like you can't you know it's 
I think we say it in the Batman podcast for the for the movie. Um, you know, like your gener, you know, your Batman. You know, since Batman's been around so long, every generation has their Batman. Yeah. And to be a kid in the '60s, Adam West was your fucking Batman. And those are the people who end up doing this show, and yeah. then they end up doing it such a good job. And it is amazing that it's just not an installment into the. Batman chronology, but it also is a milestone that ends up having a game changer into the excuse me the background and the uh, the, the, the Bible of the show yeah. where you I think invent those characters. Justice League show some of those Justice League episodes are really great too. And then yeah. Paul Dini, who said you know wrote the you know contributed to like the Bible for this for the animated series show, uh, wrote some of this the animated series best episodes. He's gone on and he writes for those for all, all the Arkham video games and. Um, that's like Kevin Conroy going to do all voice and all that stuff, and then him tandem with Mark Hamill. I don't think they've ever had another animated version of the Joker that wasn't Mark Hamill. Or am I wrong? Oh uh, yeah, because there's there's like the bit Brave and the Bold. That's not Mark Hamill. Oh, it is. Oh, you know what it is? It's that big African American guy because because yeah, he, yeah. he has the dreads, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you're right. It is that isn't that isn't him at that point. But the, but they've kept ones. him then, longer you know, than just he needed. Recently, they did the Killing Joke, and, and I think him. they brought back Conroy. Both of them. And yeah, him and Hamill. Even though the animation. Is yeah, like, but Bob Hastings had died. The guy who played uh, Commissioner Gordon, so they couldn't have him. But they brought as many people back from the original because they yeah. wanted it to have it be a, a, a touching. Or a touchstone to that. I mean, even that guy, uh, Robert Costanzo, who plays Bullock, he's a, he's a guy that you remember Total Recall. He's the one that's like Schwarzenegger. I told you not to go check that out at the construction company. He's like, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> that's Bullock, and yeah, yeah, he's like such an iconic voice, and you know that voice. And it's like you know, um, the guy who played Freeze, uh, Michael Anz in Sierra, he died at ninety one. It's like, and the other guy, um, Ephraim, who played uh, Alfred, he died like ninety five. So you had these people who were had another life for our parents as character actors in the fifties and sixties and episodic television coming in yeah. guesting and it's like you know that was so then they must have got so then somebody else plays freeze after this first episode well he's uh, he died in 2006 or 7 so he's oh, there I you said 91 he died no he dies at age 91 oh, like he had like 91. yeah he had like a say, he has like whoa one episode because like sub-zero over? it's him you know what i mean yeah. you know so he they, this was like in their their like autumn of their life you know they were still having plenty of work and uh yeah, you know anyway. until the reincarn- um, reincarnations of it so, uh, Batman the animated series. Yeah, we thought it'd be cool. We thought it'd be a nice little switcheroo to, to different things, you know. We did a TV uh, show instead of a movie, but yeah, but it's equally as nostalgic. And you said it; it certainly plays. They are into, like little movies. Yeah, yeah, and it certainly plays into something you can watch on a on a night with your friends at a sleepover. We've done and. <laughs> And we still do it, actually, which is really funny, you know? Maybe that was the reason why we uh, we did it this time around. Uh, but then next week, we'll get back into our, our regular format, which isn't necessarily... Regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, has been brought to you by... Um, but we hope you like this one. This was a little fun little... Uh, Trip down memory lane yeah, for the two of us, for a, sure. A skew into uh, Neverland, to doing something different. And uh, it certainly was fun to go back and watch these. It's always good to, every couple of years, to have an, a reason to go back and... Uh, check these out and um this was certainly an excuse for me to be able to go check this out oh yeah I you mean, know i've been sitting on these box sets forever yeah. i started watching one recently because there's a roku channel that has cartoons and they have some of these episodes so i started watching the one with like there's like a werewolf episode. oh yeah that's great that werewolf episode with that guitar <laughs> like that was a real like it's a real electric guitar <laughs> yeah yeah so you know, i, I actually watched that recently I, so when you brought this up it was like i've kind of been on a, a little bit of a trip down memory lane with Batman and the series recently anyway so it, it makes me want to go check out that Shirley Walker extensive vinyl box set for them because that's so, I remember being a lot of money but it's even so cool that they even made the art for each LP you pull out look yeah, like, like the, the Clayface 
disc is like brown, like clay brown. Yeah, and it looks like I remember like don't I think the the, the covers that they're in look like the openings to the episodes. They yeah, look yeah. like those, you know, the different yeah, it's a beautiful box title set. cards. I mean, like most things Mondo does, it's kind of limited edition. Is that only so vinyl? Maybe, you can't get it on CD or no, I don't think so. So you got to go buy that record player if you don't have a record player, which but, is hilarious. Uh, um but yeah, check us out on all the other mediums we're on. Uh, what are we on? We're on iTunes. We're on all the the uh, ways you can get podcasts. You can check yeah. out our Facebook page. You can check out our regular page. You can check out us out on Twitter. You can become friends. We'd like to thank everyone. We hit a, the twenty five hundred mark on Twitter, and then I feel like people were like, "Oh yeah," and then they unliked us, so then we went to four ninety nine. We went to like you know two four ninety nine. I forgot I like this stupid show. Yeah, and then we went to four ninety eight. We went back up again at. 2500 so we're like we're teetering there like there's people going back and forth like yeah, it's yeah. really holding them up at night like i don't know if i like them or not i like them <laughs> so but thank you it's very much that happens with twitter and yeah Facebook. but it's a great milestone to hit i mean jesus 2500 people like it i mean i guess that's some people who are like oh this is cool yeah, we didn't even buy those you know but we also we hit a big milestone on downloads too which is amazing too yeah. that's cool that there's that, that many people aside from our extended family that want to listen to us you know yeah the halloween halloween season was good for us download wise yeah so that's great that people are actually interested in what we have to say or they they like to just pass the time with us, you know, when they're building. You That's know. fine, too. Yeah. We'll take it where we can get it. We're happy to be a part of uh, your listening experience yeah. any way we can get it. You want to waste your time, you waste it with us. And then you have a book as well, like you've alluded to. Scored to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers. Available everywhere books are sold. Uh, easily accessible on Amazon if you do the Amazon thing. And I have Twitter and Facebook page at Scored to Death if you want to check that out. You said out. it's in stores, too, right? I don't know how many stores are actually carrying it, but you can go to your store and order it at your store if they don't have it in stock. Yeah. But it's not one of those where it's like a small publisher. It's out and it's about. It's good. I mean, you it's a it. small publisher compared to other publishers, but it's it's available. Yeah. You yeah. Can, you know, not every store is going to carry a copy, but you can be like, I'm looking for this book. And they're like, well, we can order it for yeah. you. And it doesn't look like you print it. If you it. want to support your bookstore as yeah. opposed to, you know, getting Amazon. it online. It doesn't look like you print it in your basement. It looks oh, no, awesome. Oh, no, it's a real yeah, book. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look like you self-published. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, you got the spiral <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. binding. It's all done on, like, ditto, like, yeah, black took it and over white. Kinko's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How much is going to be 10 cents a page? So it's all good like that. Yeah, and then, you know, you can check us out. We have our own Twitter and Facebook pages, and uh, we hope you like us, and we'll be back in two weeks for another extravaganza. Check out our back catalog. We have a lot of good stuff in, in the back um, catalog of stuff we like. Check out the pilot Flash series, which we didn't even get into too much with this, but the, there's a lot of ties there. Yeah, which we think we bring this up. That and the Batman TV, the, the 89 movie, we talk about Batman. this. Dick Tracy, we talk about this. They're all related. They're all the cobwebs kind of shoot out. And movie. if you're in just in the mood for TV uh, superheroes, we also have the Batman, uh, we have Hulk TV movie. One of my favorites here, Trial of the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Got Punisher. We got a lot of superheroes. Yeah. We got a lot of stuff. We've already, yeah, we've gone through a whole, because that Trial of the Incredible Hulk has Daredevil in it. And that was because it was starting the Daredevil show. So we had like, a, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff. <laughs> got a lot of things. Over there. And, uh, you know, even Tarzan, a lot of, a lot of superheroes. <laughs> A lot of superhero stuff. Uh, so. Pulp characters and yeah. comic book superheroes. So check us all out and uh, Rocketeer, ooh, another pulp. Well, not really, but it is. I mean, you know, it's pulpy, pulpy comic stuff. Book. Yeah, that was that was our two year anniversary. Yeah, just from um, way back in September. Way back in September, but which seems like years ago. Four episodes ago. Yeah, fifth, five now, four, five. Yeah, it's a crazy. It's it's a crazy. It's a so crazy. So check us out. Uh, we will see you in two weeks, and we hope you like what you is hearing. If you do, comment on iTunes. Yes. 
and give us constructive criticism. As long as it's not too harsh. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Who cares, right? Well, then just tell, you know, yeah, with all that spam we get, it's good to actually have people commenting on it <laughs> as opposed to asking again, I guess, to buy Cialis or uh, freaking, you know, Viagra. So, all right. All right. Well, enjoy your uh, weekend. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, what's today? Friday? Today's Friday. <laughs> for the, yeah. We hope you like it and uh, see you out, soon. Check out some Batman animated series. And stay warm because it's getting cold out there. Later. Later.